Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Here is episode 287 with a very sick Graham McMillan and a slightly ill me uh, bemoaning our health rather than the health of the comic book marketplace for a change. And we also talk about the upcoming Empire event from Marvel by Al Ewing, Dan Slott, and Valero Chiti. Uh, Phantom the end, Miles Morales the end, and The Boys the not end, which is to say the prequel. Noisemakers, 25 women who raised their voice and changed the world. The first volume of Gambling Apocalypse Keiji by Nobuyuki Fukumoto, and much, much more in this two-plus-hour episode. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan, how are you? I, I'm horribly sick, but I, you know this. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, I do know this, Graham. It's it's. How are you? I am mildly sick. I'm mildly sick. I'm not. I think I'm mostly okay. But let me tell you, there were some rocky patches in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. When you told me that, I was like, uh, no, like it's it's the Lord says that only one of us can be sick at once. But apparently, <laughs> both of us were sick. What happened? Well, that that is a very good question. Uh, I had a chunk of days off. <coughs> oh, uh, like Monday was a holiday at my work um, for uh, Martin Luther King Day. I took the next two days off, and during that time, I had a doctor's appointment and a dentist appointment and a lot of time just hanging out um some would say relaxing some would say and then we're like don't worry because i because I, I i know of at least some of the things that are going oh, on oh god yeah no not not as relaxed as i would like it's true uh and then i went back to work on thursday and then thursday night when i was getting ready to go to bed i just felt shitty and I was like, okay, I'll just sleep it off and I'll be fine. But I managed to not sleep well. I had a miserable night's sleep and it was amazing because it was very much like I was somehow simultaneously the part, like there were the part, I, I was too hot and too cold at the same time. I, oh, I, Jeff, I, I know that feeling. Right? So, so every time I tried to warm up the part that was too cold, the part that was too hot would get too hot. And then whenever I tried to mix and match, it was just so, so I woke up feeling terrible and I was like, uh, on Friday and I'm like, you know, I'm going to try and, I, you know, first I was like, I, my main concern was I can't go into work because I don't want to get other people sick, but I probably can try working remotely, which is a thing that um, since I'm like the manager of the department, I can get away with since other managers have done this. So I logged on remotely and I basically worked from nine to about 3.30 or so. And then I was like, okay, I've got to sign off. Now, during that time, I was able to work productively but I also, my guts turned on me with a vengeance. So even though the whole night had just been fevery and I figured I would just be kind of tired and taking power naps or whatever, instead it was like, do a job, go crap my brains out. Come back, do another job, go crap my brains out. Again, 
very glad that I was at home. Uh, and so after chugging a lot of Pepto-Bismol and drinking some ginger ale, uh, by the time I was ready to go to bed last night, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. And, and this time I think things are going to be better. You know, I took, took a Tylenol PM. I'm like, this is going to knock me out. And then the weird cracking rattling started. Um, I, every time I exhaled, there would be this like, wheezy crackly thing going on in the back of my lungs and you know as a dude who i mean i really did manage to get all the check boxes on my nerd card now as as a later guy like when i was young skinny glasses now chubby glasses but also asthma so and asthma has not really poked its head up in a couple of years but last night i was wheezing and yeah. coughing and fortunately i had a little bronchial inhaler it took so much of that normally it's just like a two puff situation this was like six puffs and at least i could breathe but i swear to god as i inhaled there would be crackling and as i exhaled and i'm sort of like huh i kind of don't want to die like what if i'm <laughs> what if i'm dying like i'm used to a little bit of this you know because you're looking online and good old internet they're like well you know could be a bronchial spasm could be pulmonary edema maybe your lungs collapsed and i'm like Ugh. so i made one of those like judgment calls of like i i think i'm gonna be okay and went to bed and woke up and was a million times better um don't have much appetite. Have most of my eating today has consisted of ginger ale, uh, but but I'm mobile, um, and I maybe I'm on the road to recovery because there is less crackling, less wheezing, and less feeling like I'm going to die. Compare and contrast with you, Graham. Tell me, there's actually a lot of crossover there, Jeff. <laughs> there, there's more than you'd think. Really? Um, so as you know, I've been sort of low level sick for a while now. I mean, mm -hmm. really. Legitimately, I've had a cold of some degree since mid-December. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons for this, I thought. Mm -hmm. And I was really putting it down to I had a really exhausting beginning of December. Right. And then, like, I had a very exhausting rest of December. But yes. also, like, it's December. It's cold season. Yeah. Right? Yep. And the exhausting never really let up. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm just not giving myself time to relax. I'm just not giving myself time to, to yeah. you know, to properly get better. So it would come and go, and there'd be sometimes where I'd really have a cold, and sometimes where it'd just be like, I feel a little bit snuffly, or my throat's a bit sore. Yeah. But it's been really low level. It's been really low-key whatever. Right. And cut to Wednesday afternoon, mm -hmm. where mid-afternoon, I'm like, yeah, it's it's coming back on again. You know, I'm feeling I, I'm feeling a little bit chilly. Mm -hmm. I can feel it in my throat. Fine, whatever. By Wednesday evening, I am having shivers, and I'm draped in a blanket, and oh. I'm feeling very nauseous. Oh, Jesus. By Wednesday night, I can't sleep. Mm. I am fevered. I'm having the hot and cold flashes. Uh, but when I realized that it was a real problem was when I was legitimately delirious in the middle of the night. Oh, no. Like, I, it got to about three o'clock mm -hmm. and i was obsessed with as in literally could not stop thinking about 
the fact that I, quote-unquote, had to write a story about a haunted pirate ship and time travelers. <laughs> and it could work out the plot. <laughs> right? And I, like, I'm consciously thinking, yes, this yeah. is bullshit. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Why would I have to write the story? I don't have to write the story this at all. This doesn't make any I sense. Not stop. Yeah. Like, really could not stop. Oh, man. And I was like, okay, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I should I should make a point of actually going to a doctor. Mm. Like, this, this is not... Because all along, I've just been like, it's it's a cold. Mm-hmm. I'll be fine. It's a fucking cold. Right. Uh, and, yeah. So, I go to the doctor the next day, basically thinking they're going to tell me, uh, not that it's a cold, mm-hmm. but that it is... Uh, that I might have a flu. I might have the flu, or I might have pneumonia. Right. You that's were thinking walking pneumonia, right? Yeah, yeah. That's basically what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And I go in, and they do the flu test, which no one had ever told me what the flu test was before. And holy shit, that is actually a torture. Like, legitimately. I've never had a massive Q-tip, Q-tip stuck into the back of my head before. What? Through my nose. Do, do you not know that's what they do? No, I didn't know you, they tested you for the flu. I thought it was yeah, just like... No, so what they do is they get a, a, like a, a cotton swab, like mm-hmm. a, a Q-tip, a, right. but a really big one, like one that is, that is longer this place, one that is longer than this, this like the length of your hand. Oh, God. And they stick it in your nose, and it honestly does feel like it's the back of your head. Yeah, completely. And they're like, like, we're going to sample this. And I was like, okay, thinking they're going to come back and be like, it's the flu. Right. And in the meantime, you know, she's doing all the other things. She's taking the temperature, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she comes back and she's like, it's not the flu. And I was like, okay, what is it? She goes, well, I've got to be honest. Um, your oxygen's really low. And I'm kind of worried because it could be pneumonia. And I was like, oh, I, I thought pneumonia was also a possibility. She's right. like, okay, so, so you've got to go and get uh, get your chest x-rayed. Right. That's that's the next step. Just to rule out pneumonia. You know, she's like, I, you know, it probably isn't because you're not presenting with any of the other symptoms, but, you know, I just want to rule it out. And I was like, well, if it's not pneumonia, what is it? And she's like, it's a, it's a mystery virus. <laughs> and I was like, okay, because I've had it for a while. And she's like, no, but you've not, though. You've basically had the cold and this has come on suddenly. And she says, you know, when did the fever start? I said the fever started last night. She goes, so you're infectious for about the next three or four days. And you're probably going to feel really bad for those days. And then you're going to feel just, just minor level mm-hmm. bad for the next th- two or three weeks after that whoa and i was like well thanks that that yeah. sounds she's like you know what do you want i'm telling you the truth mm-hmm. uh, and she's like so basically don't be around anyone because you're infectious mm-hmm. and i was like okay and how am i going to know like if it's pneumonia and she's like well we'll call you and sure enough i went from there straight to get an x-ray i went to their their other lab to get an x-ray and within 20 minutes of the x-ray being taken I had a, I don't have pneumonia. Wow. Um, like diagnosis. And she was just like, drink fluids, mm-hmm. stay in bed. You are going to get fevered again. She was like, you're probably not going to get delirious again. Okay, wait. So, but how does she know this without knowing what it is? Like she's saying that I, it's not a flu and it's not pneumonia. I say pneumonia. I have to say, Graham, I love how you say it. And I should start saying pneumonia. Because it sounds lovely and like an Art of Noise a, song. Well, also, that's that's me being very nasal because I have a stuffed up nose. <laughs> no, you're t- it's the, the, the monia. Monia. It's just – it's perfect. It's the way you're supposed to say it. I'm like, it's so much better. Pneumonia. 
It, I, you can hear Max I, I, Headroom saying it in the back of a. a oh God! Art now I'm like super far away. I'm like, wait, how are you supposed to say it? I no, I'm just don't go by me. I'm a Cal, I'm a native Californian who fucks up their vowels all over the place. So the pneumonia, you know what I mean? Like, and it sounds dumb. It sounds wrong. It, it's wrong, and it doesn't sound good. Stick to yours. I don't mean to make you self conscious, but sorry. oh, it's, it's too, too late. Um, so <laughs> it's, I have I have no idea how she knows. She's basically just basing off the idea that it is a virus. Uh huh. She's like that. This is how it should work. I see. I see. So um, did she think that you might have the the the? See, I haven't even read up. I know that China. Oh, the coronavirus. Got... Yeah. So yeah. here's the thing. So I made that joke. I yes. was like, so I have the coronavirus, in part because. Uh, Chloe's been sick mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I, we were joking about her having it. Mm. But then I was like, do I have it? She's like, why would you have it? You know, I've been in China. I was like, but I was in Brazil at the start of December. Right. And she was like, it's not it's not from Brazil. You've not got it. So mm. she, she was just very matter of fact. She was wow. Like, no, okay. Yeah. No, you don't have it. It's that simple. Mm. Um, but I did, I did bring it up just because, hi, hypochondriac. Sure. Um, but also when people are just like, you have a mystery virus, that's okay. Like... <laughs> It's a mystery virus. You'll get over it. Right. And, uh, you know, you have this like, well, there is this famous mystery virus. Exactly. No, I would have thought of it. Especially the famous mystery virus that presents like the flu. Yes. You know, I was like, okay. Right. You know, there it is. But no, she was just very matter of fact. She was like, you've not got it. No. So, sorry. Um, That said, like, so that was Thursday. Right. That was Thursday. And and to be fair, so Wednesday night, I was terrible. Like, genuinely delirious out of nowhere. Mm. Thursday, I was pretty bad, but like yesterday and today, I've just been like low level sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is passing quickly again, unless again it comes back super quickly. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. Um, what's really funny though is so the I I one hundred percent bought into this doctor being like you have a low level virus, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like what what's your problem? You'll be right, fine. Right. Um. And then I tweeted like something like, you know, I'm sad that I don't have pneumonia because, you know, at least now I, I just have a mystery virus that I'm going to wait to get better from. And it's, it's kind of boring. And a number of people reached out and were basically like, oh, chronic illnesses are the worst. And that made me so paranoid. <laughs> I was like, I thought I just had a cold. Oh, my God. What do we do for chronic illness? And I was like, I have basically been sick since like for more than a month now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Maybe, oh, maybe this is the start of something. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's dude. Okay, so I kept. Did you ask them about a? I guess it wouldn't be a sinus infection because they must have tested for that when they jammed that thing up your nose, right? Yeah, well, they te- yeah they tested for a bunch of things. And okay, like, all right. Like everything came back negative. And part yeah. of me was also like, what if one of the negative results is wrong? Well, sure. Yeah. You know, like what if what if I actually do have the flu and it's just for some reason that that, that weird like swab to the back of the head through the nose, which again through the nose. <laughs> That is horrible. I have to say that does I mean, sound really it's, terrible. It's, it's like a because it's it's one of those things where even before she gave it to me, she said like this is one of the most unpleasant things I do in this job, mm-hmm. and I didn't really believe it. If that makes sense, sure. Like I knew what she was about to do, but I was like, she's saying that to, to like overplay it, right? But in all seriousness, that's one of the most unpleasant things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Because there's a moment where like it goes in, and you're like, okay, it's a con swap in my nose, and then it just keeps going. And then it just keeps going, yeah, and yeah. You're like, oh wait, no, no, this, no, yeah, this is too far. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not great. That is not great at all. Yeah, 
it was just like, no, no, yeah, just take it out, take it out. And sure enough, like, it was very quick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as soon as I was like, yeah, get this out of me, get this out of me, she was, it was like, gone. Right. But it, it's just that there was this moment of, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham, that sounds terrible. I have yeah, to so, so short version, I, um, I'm sick, mm-hmm. seeing as you are. Yes. Uh, I do feel like, you know, uh, wait, what has become for the last 15 minutes? The, the health podcast. Indeed. We have all healthy uh, so far this year or whatnot. Um, but it, the, one of the, the fun question mark things is I had a lot of stuff to do for work on Thursday, mm-hmm. which was not good because I was, like I said, quasi-delirious. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you really don't want to be writing stuff. But I had basically nothing to do on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because I was like, I've just got to clear my schedule. Right. Like, I I owe maybe the entire university emails, but mm-hmm. that's okay because I was like, no, I've I've got to take care of this. Um, instead, I read like a bunch of books that I've been sent. Ooh. <laughs> it was great. I got to catch up on things. That's fabulous. That is fabulous. Well, good. I look forward to hearing about them uh, is throughout this throughout this episode. Yeah, I, I have uh, I have a, uh, at least one actually to highly recommend. Oh, good. Oh, good, good, good. I suspect I might know what it is based on your oh, Twitter no, feed, but oh no, it's it's not that. Although I should really should recommend that as well. Oh, okay. Well, then fabulous. Okay. Well, yeah, actually, uh, this this was the thing that I was quite interested in was you had mentioned, and I hate bringing this up because I I know that. If I get you to to track your reading, um, that you are so totally going to skunk me in terms of how much you read. Oh, here's it's going the thing. to look that's, hugely embarrassing for me. That's fallen by the wayside significantly in the last week just because I've been so busy. Well, and also sick. So you mean as in not reading or not writing as out in, what I'll you've keep, been I'll listing? Keep track of it. Yeah, see, okay, well, that's – got to reprieve then. But that's still – I still know you're just going to – oh, I'm going to be grounded to pulp. So, uh, but at least I get to pretend like that's not the case for a, a little bit. So I'm, I'm very excited, very, very excited that, um, your savage victory has been postponed for a week or two, but it, please do keep that list. I want, I, I want to see. I was I honestly thinking of it just before you rang. I was like, oh, I was supposed to do that. And I've, I've not, I've not even updated it since the first week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a problem. Yep. It's a problem. Yep. I, I the plus side is I've been doing most of it digitally, mm-hmm. so it's it, it's relatively easy for me to go back and keep track of. E- exactly, that's the one thing that I found is a big big help for me is I can go back and be like, oh well, at least I can put it together, you know, um, by looking at looking at opening up whatever program I have and looking at whatever I recently browsed or what's in the thing, so. Um, but yeah, well, so that being said, where would you want to start? Is, is there, ter- is there, is there sickly news to, to match our, our sickly is, demeanor? Is there sickly news? I don't I'm, know. Uh, I'm so tempted to be like, well, you know, there's empire, but that's just being completely cheap. <laughs> Wait, so which is what? It's the, the Marvel crossover that's starting in April. Oh yeah. Okay. The, the, right. the Marvel event of the year, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's you know Marvel's going big on it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like the first month, it's like here's twenty books about Empire, and you're like, oh shit, okay, wow. Um, but it sounds like uh, it put this way. It sounds like if anyone could have done a Marvel event for us, mm-hmm. 
This is it. Oh, tell it's me. It's Al Ewing and Dunslow, and I know you like one half of that writing team. I do a lot. Uh, and Valero shitty on art. Mm. It's uh, essentially an Avengers and Fantastic Four crossover mm. that is all the Marvel cosmic stuff. And the teasers have talked about Celestial Madonna and the Kree Skrull War. Oh, man. Oh, right. You know, I have to say, though, this is one of those things. And it's ironic um, that precisely because Al Ewing's name was there, I was like, eh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in. And I'll tell you why, Graham. I'll tell you why. I'm fascinated. Because, and this is going to be sad, it's because... For whatever reason, it's not. I'd never got as far enough into uh, Ewing's Ultimates run. Like I really only just, I think, got as far as them converting, solving Galactus essentially. But for whatever reason, there had been a lot of grousing that I had seen on my Twitter timeline where people were like, "It was just," and I know you are in this camp. The fact that that. Ewing went and established something with Galactus that changed the status quo that got immediately undone and put back in whatever goddamn event that was that you yourself was like uh, it was a it was um infinity something infinity countdown I think yeah infinity countdown you know uh I just kind of had this moment of like oh Empire wow and it's gonna be the cosmic stuff and I'm like wait it doesn't like. Al Ewing on a cosmic event is a sign that it's just going to get undone. You know what I mean? Like, I was well, just kind of like... That's, is it, though? Because I think it could be argued that Al Ewing has shifted his position within Marvel. Uh, sure. I think the fact that he's being given a, a, an event right. in itself mm-hmm. is is a sign of... Of, that it's going to stick around for longer than Galactus Lifebringer did. And also the fact that Al's now writing Guardians of the Galaxy right. makes me think that if he does some major status quo shift, mm-hmm. that it's going to stick. Okay. You know? Um, also, his Guardians of the Galaxy launched this week. Yes. Yeah. And I think I didn't. I did not pick it up. I'm sorry, Al. I was very tempted, I, but you, the you price should. was kind of rough. Yeah, you should. I really liked it. I was actually surprised quite how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is I don't particularly like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Um, but I was very taken with the tone of the book because mm-hmm. it feels curiously understated to me. Mm. Uh, it feels surprisingly emotional. Mm-hmm. Part of that is is like it's following Donna Catron, which is honestly like a, a glossy mess mm-hmm. um and before <laughs> that there was uh shit jerry duggan mm-hmm. who, don't get wrong like can write emotionally resonant material definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but especially i think his guardians like was much more like going for if there's such a thing as like high gag concept right you know and before that was bendis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so i so i didn't think that i was going to go into guardians and get you know uh, trauma comics, hmm. and yet it's kind of like uh, Grant Morrison trauma comic, huh? For want of a better way of putting it, interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So basically, the the there's there's a bunch of sort of gimmies in there. Mm-hmm. One of it is it follows on from Kate's uh, uh, Guardians series, 
and starts with like the Guardians as the movie characters know them, but also as Donny Cates' book left them. So Moon Dragon's in there, and so so is um, uh, Marvel's kid. I can't remember her name. Phyla Bell, I think. Yes. Um, and they're all like, "Okay, we've saved the universe enough. We're we're done. Like mm-hmm. we're exhausted. We're traumatized. We have to stop doing this." Hmm. Uh, and then Nova shows up and is like, "Okay, big shit is happening. Mm-hmm. We need your help." And they say no, for want of a better way of putting it. Philomel and Moondragon are like, okay, I'm in. Right. And everyone else is like, no, we're tired, we're traumatized. Mm-hmm. But then the twist is Rocket Raccoon and Star-Lord are basically so fucked up that they can't say no. Mm. So they sneak out to do it anyway. Huh. Um. And they form a new Guardians with Moondragon and Philavel and Nova and, wonderfully, Marvel Boy. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And it's the fact that they're a mismatched team and it doesn't really make sense is part of the plot. Right. And they're going up against the gods of Olympus who were brought back in the Avengers mini that Al and Mark Wade and Jim Zub did. Right. Which the is really first interesting. one or the second one? The second one. Hmm. Uh, and what's great about that is it literally picks up on one of the cliffhangers, the second one, a cliffhanger, a dangling plot threads, the second one, which ends up with Hercules is newly reborn and like, I'm going to be hero again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he decides he's going to do it in space by the last page being Hercules being a prisoner of one of these gods and then getting rescued by the Guardians and being like, okay, I'm going to join your team and we're going to fuck everyone up. Mm. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm into this. Sure. Yeah. Like, the, this is not the comic I expected and I'm into it. Right. Right. Also, how how fun! I mean, for those of us, those those storied few who remember Space Hercules from the '80s miniseries with Bob Layton, it's kind of like oh. which you know is one hundred percent Al. You know that's what he is. Yeah, especially because like I'm pretty sure he was reading like the British Marvel comics at the same time I was. So he read that shit in the Transformers comic. <laughs> So there you go. There you go. Well, that's, that is, that sounds, that sounds pretty exciting. I got to say. Yeah. So, but again, like that coming out, um, that being the status quo for the guardians, mm-hmm. at this, uh, for Marvel space mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, this is happening. makes me think that it's not going to be undone. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, right. I mean, it will at some point. Well, sure, sure. Of course yeah. it does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I exactly. think it's going to stick around for a few years. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's promising. Yeah. But again, you know, Al's Al's doing it, and Al likes the same shit we do. Yes, you know, and it's, it's specifically referencing like Celestial Madonna, Kree Squirrel War, right? You know, that sort of thing. In Marvel Comics a thousand, one of the cliffhangers of that was Korvac. Mm. Right, Korvac mm-hmm. coming online is the end of the Marvel Comics a thousand. Is it? Wait, why yeah. don't I remember that? It's the last page after the credits. You might have stopped at the credits. It's mm. after the credits. It's a post-credit sequence. Mm. Okay. Okay. Wow. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so you know. So you know. That's there. Uh, I think. I think there's potential for it to be fun. It's just I couldn't resist the joke because it is one of those crossovers that launches with, like, there's there's I think two issues of the main book. There's two prologue zero issues. Mm-hmm. There, I think the launch of three spin-off miniseries and crossover issues in other books, like all in the first month. Yeah, and it's one of those like, oh, you've really got to sign up immediately. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. Again, that's my like. Oh, I um, 
I feel weirdly, um, you know, I've been trying to spend less money on the new releases and trying to be like Mr. Like, okay, it'll be there in six months on Marvel Unlimited and, you know. Well, but again, that makes sense, right? Because yeah. you will see it in six months on Marvel Unlimited. Well, sure, sure. I think so. But part of me is also kind of like, eh, you know, anyway, it's been a push and pull, but I can see myself being into that. Oh, but, you know, the thing that's really funny about Marvel Unlimited is um, I had a, I had somebody that I emailed who was kind of like, hey, did you notice that the last two weeks they haven't been uploading old stuff right exactly so you were on top of that as well although at least this week they just did it later i don't know if you that they did they did that last week as well okay but it was like maybe three books it was almost nothing yeah it was almost nothing and this and so i was like oh geez you know but this time it was like a shitload of old daredevils yeah 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 like it's it's daredevil 144 through like 157 you know and then they throw in like two issues of alpha flight oh shit yeah i am looking right now obnoxious versus x-men yeah i I don't know when all this stuff was, was released but yeah, yeah, no, but see, so this is, this is, you notice the same thing, which was, uh, there hadn't been any older stuff. And I sort of quote unquote realized, speculated that part of the reason is, is Marvel is getting into the point where they're releasing so many titles a month that, you know, kind of like, if you're if you're releasing 90, 90 titles a month, that means that you're you can upload twenty five books a week, and it seems like a lot, which it is. Um, it, but it's all new releases, you know. Like I just, yeah, that, yeah, that is the problem, right? It's like well, if you're if you are doing, I mean, I, they are doing over a hundred books a month at this point, right? So if you're doing anywhere between twenty five and thirty books a week, mm-hmm. and that's just the new material, right? You can just afford to skip the old stuff. And also, let's be honest, they're running out of old stuff. They they have so much up there. And and I mean it's again, it's a it's a good service. I really do I think Marvel Unlimited is is shockingly robust. And it is kind of funny. I'm sort of getting to the point of like, well, okay, there's less older stuff, but I kinda don't mind. Maybe I should just read new stuff, because it is a little bit when it's twenty or twenty-five books a week, it, it it you give them a lot of leeway. You know what I mean? Like back when we first joined, and there would be weeks where it was like fourteen books or something like that. You're like, okay, it's uh, why couldn't they throw flesh that out? And then every once in a while, they'd have like a week where it'd be like, oh, it's twenty books, and it's six of those are like old master of kung fu issues. Good for me, bad for Graham. You know that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, now that this stuff is kind of getting shored up, it's sort of um, the last couple of Marvel BOGO sales. I found myself being like, there's not really. Right. It, yeah. Um, why, would I, why would I buy this when I have a subscription service that lets me read it all the time? Well, but it's also just kind of there's a little bit of a no, like they're kind of they I, I don't know. I don't think they've totally hit maximum saturation point clearly because i don't know because we still haven't seen um God, what oh no for example like mantlo's alpha flight is not there with the exception of like two issues right 
I, it, to name one that I the other week was just looking for, I'm being mm-hmm. like, oh god, I'd really like to read that. Oh, it's not there. Right. Right. You know, and there's it's not like DC Universe where there's really major gaps there still. Yes. Well, see, that's it, and that's also the thing. Like DC Universe is sort of chugging along, but it's it is so it's like the majority of it is is what was a year ago plus some House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane. Yeah. yeah, and just just a lot of stuff where it's like you got you guys you do realize you've got an incredibly huge gap in your Superman run, right? Like stuff that people would probably really want to read, aren't you going to Yeah, get like that up there, there? there's on, there's only like a handful of stuff from Action Comics Weekly up there. Yeah, Which right. again strikes me as another obvious gimmick. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Right. Put up Action Comics Weekly, do an issue every week, which is how it was more or less designed for, you know? Yeah, I uh I don't know. Anyway, um I don't think I had a point uh, obviously other than I did consider Guardians. I was thinking about Empire, then I sort of talked myself out of it. Like I'm being very I, I like I liked Guardians a lot actually. Yeah, right. Uh, it's not Immortal Hulk. Mhm. And to be fair like what is? Right. You no. Know? I wasn't but exactly it, yeah, but it's a very, very strong Guardians book, right? Like maybe the strongest since the title's been relaunched, right? Um, well, and as you know, I loved I loved Al's Rocket miniseries, which was yeah. a really good. You know, had a great sense for the character and a really fun, you know, heist movie in space kind of feel to it. So yeah, and so, and so I think you would enjoy some of this. Don't get me wrong; it's a very different tone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but. I'm trying to think of a better way of saying, like, the rocket is consistent. Yeah. But the rocket is consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's there's threads of the humor. Like, I don't know. I honestly can't couldn't tell you where, like, bratty, teenage, annoying snot Groot came from. <laughs> right. But, uh, but I enjoy him. But I also enjoy him as basically a one-line joke. Mm-hmm. And then he's left behind. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, any, any other, uh, Marvel surprises that, uh, uh no, what the, my other like big superhero surprise this week mm-hmm. was I'm re like, we've gone through this before and I know you're not a fan. I'm really enjoying Bendis' Superman in this, like, uh, Superman out himself as Clark storyline. Right. Like really deeply enjoying to a degree I did not expect. Mm. Hmm. Uh, in large part just because it's uh, upbeat, mm-hmm. it's very much focusing on the supporting cast, which you kind of have to do in a story like this. Mm-hmm. But if you remember, like when they did it five years ago, it wasn't about the supporting cast. Like the supporting cast was there so that Lois could do it, and then Jimmy could be like, "Oh, I don't know what happened." <laughs> Whereas this, it's you know. Perry White sits down with Clark and Lois and it goes, okay, so what was fiction and what was real? Are you actually bad with deadlines? Mm. Like, are, like, what, you know, what was fake Clark and what's real Clark? And, you know, Lois and Clark both have to go, no, he is bad with deadlines. Like, <laughs> he leaves at the last minute. He just does. And Perry's like, okay, so that means all the typos are, are fake as well. And Lois is like, no, and Clark's like, no, it is. I just put those in because I didn't want Lois to feel bad about her own typos. You know, like, there's gags like that which just work. Right. You know? I yeah. like that shit a lot. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that 
something of this nature can happen and instead of it being you know like uh when spider-man was out and or came out in civil war right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was you know all of a sudden someone's got to you know trying to assassinate aunt may right and everyone's frowning yeah and in this is not don't get me wrong there's like there's literally a special coming out called superman villains right mm-hmm. there's clearly going to be uh a villainous plot right but right. But that's not happening in this book. Like, they even sold, they teased this issue of Superman with a shot of the, the Daily Planet destroyed. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what is going to happen? And that's a fake out on the first page. Mm-hmm. Of worst case scenario with everyone thought might happen when this happened, but hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's acknowledged in the story that that's what everyone expects, but it's not what happened. Mm-hmm. You just find something really engaging about the optimism of well, you know, I mean, this this is I have to say that it, since we were talking about this, I realized for myself that I am genuinely looking forward to getting to these issues in DC Universe. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I it, and I feel bad because part of me is aware that that is uh, counterproductive to what I think Bendis and DC want to do, which is make the character, make people pay attention to the character, have him sell a lot of copies, you know, and be, you know, a, uh, the, 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 uh, a just, you know, member of the Trinity, like he, Wonder Woman and Batman, it's like, have them be the big three in terms of sales and attention and their stories and et cetera. I totally get it. But on the other hand, part of me is like the things that drives, the things that I like about Bendis, I think will be better served reading him either in trade or on a streaming service rather than paying money every, you know, three times a month for it, you know? Cause yeah, I, I, I think that's very true to be honest. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's weird how much, um, I don't know why, I don't know. Were you talking about Chris Claremont? Like, on Twitter or anything recently, I feel like he's been in the uh, back of my mind. Not, huh. I don't. It sounds like something I would do. But... Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. I, I just find myself thinking in the back of my brain. I'm kind of like, why? Oh, you know what it was? It was. <laughs> uh, remember when you were tearing me a new asshole over uh, Jason Aaron's Avengers run? Yes. Graham? Yes. I I remember that you when you were kind of talking about the definition of what a good story was. And in that classic, like, you know, sulking and talking to myself and walking around, you know, kicking cats on street and planning my revenge. I remember in the back of my brain being like, you know, like, oh, yeah, sure, Graham, like things have to happen. Tell that to Chris Claremont, and, you know, in terms of resolution, you know, because yeah, of yeah. how you were hurting me down the little slaughterhouse of your, your argument. And I. <laughs> I I did find myself thinking like, huh, you know, why is it that Chris Claremont gets so many gives gimmies from me, but not Bendis? You know what I mean? Like it could you could argue that Bendis is like a very modern Claremont writer in a lot of ways, you know? And and yet I don't think of them that way, and I just can't bring myself to give Bendis the sort of range or gimme or whatever because because i feel like a lot of his i maybe because his conclusions and his endings are so slapdash you know and also because and i this is going to sound like much more of a slam on bendis than it's actually intended to Mm -hmm. i don't think bendis has the emotional depth that claremont did 
Right. At least insofar as Claremont had much more emotional depth than anything else that was going on in superhero comics at the time. Well, for definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, right. And Bendis doesn't. Right, 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 right. Bendis and Claremont might actually have exactly the same depth, like emotional depth. To be perfectly honest, like you go back to the, like some of the new mutants issues that I remember as a kid reading and being like, that's so fucking deep. It's right. not. It's facile as shit. Yeah. But again, compared with what was happening in Captain America that month, right. like it really was deep, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and Bendis does – Bendis writes some great stuff. He really does. Mm-hmm. But – there is no more depth there than there is in – I was going to say Superman, but that's the biggest writing um, – than in yeah, Batman or, or Wonder Woman or anything else. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah. I mean on, on the one hand, it strikes me that Bendis is such an enjoyable DC writer. Like I've really enjoyed the stuff that I, re- that I was reading – up until the point where it sort of more or less kind of comes to an end, you know, like Bendis has like good characters and I think he has really strong ideas. I just think that his, his plotting is for trash, I guess. And it's weird, I guess in a way uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's funny how much, it should, I shouldn't necessarily need that big third wrap up there. This is, I, I'm hoping this is more than me just defensively prattling about why I stopped no, no, I, no, Bendis' I, Superman. I, but... I, I think you're right, though. Like, you look at all of Bendis' other books, with the you know, with the exception of Alias and Daredevil, say, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Bendis doesn't know how to end a run. Mm-hmm. You know, but especially if you look at, like, Avengers, right? He was on Avengers forever. Mm-hmm. And his final issues in that run are kind of like tying off loose ends as opposed to any sort of climactic events. Well, yeah. And I think I kind of feel like a lot of his climactic events in in the stories, in the arcs, a lot of them e- either it it built improperly and then he, you know, he sort of swerves and it's a letdown or he like comes with something that's sort of big that seems to have just occurred to him that I feel like the the groundwork was never laid for. And so it's kind of underwhelming. And I mean, he seems to have figured out the secret to chaining his events to bigger events, you know, like the end of one story, sort of the opening of a new status quo and blah, blah, blah. But he never really does that in a way that I find is satisfying is like, say, Jeff Johns's Pate, doing exactly the same thing you know yeah and it's uh, you know it, you calling him a good dc writer i think is really telling us the right word but i think you're right mm-hmm. because one i i do i really like his superman i really like his action comics mm-hmm. and one of the things i like about it is it feels authentically superman in a way that superman comics haven't felt in a long time mm-hmm. but you're right it doesn't feel um essential Mm-hmm. Like one of the things I like about it is it feels like really good comfort food. Yes, uh, yes, but I guess that's I suppose that's part of my problem. Like the whole uh, reunification saga, which is pretty much where I jumped off at the end of it. Its whole point that it builds to is more or less the Legion of Superheroes reveal. So it's it brings you into that next period, but like. Every stage of it, I, I guess for me, it's a lot of like um, everything is, I, and I think maybe this is the nature of it, is like 
I feel like Bendis feels that he has to appease the this is the biggest storyline ever. So, of course, all of the stuff going on with Dong Zor or whatever the hell his name was, uh, you know, is supposed to be this big, important change switcheroo like thing about Krypton. And and yet at the same time, it's all like or like when Earth disappears into the Phantom Zone and then suddenly you've got Zod and there's all this stuff. And it's all supposed to be like it's it's somehow too big for what he's the way he's trying to tell the story, I guess. No, yeah, I, I agree and disagree. Uh-huh. I think you're right on the larger scale. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think the whatever the name of the guy who killed Krypton storyline was was definitely that was an attempt to be like, look, this is like the most consequential Superman story ever. Right, right. Um, to, and to a degree, I think like Superman reveals his identity is the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think, and this is based on nothing other than uh, my own take on things and my own take on not necessarily ego. But like how my how his mind works, mm-hmm. I think Bent is just trying to make DC's investment in him pay off. Sure, sure, I right? can see that. Like you, you bet hard on me, and they did. Like Jinx World got a lot of new books. They gave him the Superman franchise. They gave him Legion. They gave him Wonder Comics. Right. You know, like they really went in hard on Bendis. Yeah. And so I can totally see him going, "Okay, I'm going to do. I'm going to make Superman really fucking popular." Right. No, you know, right. That's, absolutely. That makes sense because, again, right. at Marvel, he did. Benders would come in a book and sales would go up. You know? Well, at least sales... for the first decade of him doing it, I guess. Yeah. But, but again, know. like, sales didn't, like, sales got bumped for Superman for a small time. But right now, I think they're probably where they were before Benders was on the book. Sure, sure, right. And so you want, like, you could understand him being like, okay, what do I have to do to get sales up? Buying Superman reveals the identity. Right. But on the other hand, things like the Earth is missing, blah, blah, blah. Mm hmm. Didn't feel to me like the same type of story at all. It felt like the idea of doing a story that was in story so big that Superman had to save the day. Right. Uh, yeah. No. I. Uh, I. I don't know how to describe it. I see your point. It. It. I, I mean, and I think this is it. To me, Bendis is one of those dudes where you you break it down and you look at the component pieces and it all makes sense but then when it's all assembled together it just somehow always it, and again this is probably just me because as you point out he's a pretty big seller but I, it just always feels like less than the sum of its parts like i remember real early on in an avengers like way 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 one of his first stories is like the avengers all end up in the savage land or whatever. And then they all get stripped of their clothes and tied up. And I don't know, they end up in a hot tub or something. That, that's it, like the, for his first new Avenger story. Isn't yeah. It? Right. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, uh, the evil shield agent, black widow woman or whatever, like, you know, her face catches on fire. She runs off into the jungle and then they're like, okay, time to go home. You know what I mean? And it was just such a, it's such a – it was such a non-ending. It was such a – and I guess that's – again, there's just all those little bits and pieces about Bendis. And it's things that sort of worry me about him in, in no small part because he is – he's – you know, the guy's teaching 
comics, you know? He's... Exactly. You would hope that, you know, he would be better at doing the end of this. Yeah, that that it would be something where it's like he knows what it means to have an emotional ending that sticks and carries off. And it's one thing when it's kind of a constant show game of like, you know, where part of part of Bendis's fun is how he will kind of turn a story on its head and deconstruct it halfway through. And then suddenly you think it's going to be a big thing. And then it's just sort of a funny romp thing. But I, I don't know. I just, anyway, it's just, it's one of those things where it's something that I feel like even in his Marvel stories, it was like, I'm going to go super big. And then it would always just kind of end up by the end of it. It's sort of like, Oh, so that guy just ripped that guy in half and threw him into Asgard, and that's yeah, the end of you know, that, and he, huh? And he's, I would say Superman has been relatively divided of that, mm-hmm. but like you look at his Event Leviathan series, mm-hmm. which ended with such a damp squib that when they announced a new one, I was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> There's a second half of the story, because right. the way you left it wasn't an ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. Or or uh I just feel like like I was reading action comics and it was this whole thing of like it was like, okay, we're building to a big showdown between Superman and the Red Cloud, and then it was just kinda like or not. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just I remember there being this weird moment where it was like, That's it? That's all you got? And and again, part of me is sort of like I'm a big fan, like, looking back, I was a bigger fan of, like, Jerry Ordway's Adventures of Superman. You know what I mean? Like, that's that was pretty small. And I think the problem is, is part of me is, like, Bendis is, does this weird, he's got to be everything to everyone. or and he And also, he thinks that he's doing that. And I guess everyone, I worry that everyone has been telling him in the echo chamber, you know, like, he's great. And... He's he, there's things about him that are super enjoyable. I really loved the Superman stuff. I loved Batman Universe again, sort of right up until the last issue, and then I was like, wait, what? You know, like the the revelation yeah, yeah. of where he went yeah. with the MacGuffin was like, did did you did you just did you roll a die? Like, how did you how did you decide that this was where it was going to end up and what it was going to be about? And I think, hmm. Anyway, it's I don't mean to go on and on. I'm glad that the Bendit stuff is good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I also find myself being both relieved that I'm not buying it anymore. And uh, uh, like, as is always the case with me when I stop buying stuff, feeling vaguely uh, guilty for not buying it. So, I, No, I, I, I get that. Mm. It, 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 it makes... Yeah, I like there's books. Interesting enough, you know what else I read this week? What? Um, I read the collections of Grant Morrison's Green Lantern. Oh, there we go. Um, it, on Hoopla. And I read them as collections. I didn't read them month by month. Right. Uh, and you'll remember I read before the series ended. Mm-hmm. I reread it all. Right. Thinking like it's leading something. And I was left fairly flat. Yes. I didn't realize until this read-through, which is the third time, maybe even the fourth time I've read these comics, mm-hmm. that it's not me. It is actually the comic. <laughs> <laughs> because this time I read all 12 issues in two nights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. 
And reading them that close together, you'd realise that the comics are interesting, and then they go up their own ass dramatically. It's not me. Mm. All the way along, I was like, I'm just losing interest. It's not that. Right. It's not that I'm losing interest. Mm-hmm. It's that Morrison himself seems to lose interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And poor Liam Sharp is working his little heart out. Bless him. Oh, he Liam really Sharp's is. work is fabulous in that. Um, I, You know, it, I think... The... That is, sorry, I, the reason I brought this up yes. quickly is because it made me think of like a book that I, for example, I haven't read Black Stars, the like the spin-off series, right? And I, but that's a book I feel guilty for not reading. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I that know. that was that was what brought me that got it. Circle. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Like that. Uh, that's interesting. I feel, I feel like Morrison is. Yeah, I feel like Morrison shackled himself to uh to have. A number of concepts and then at a certain point realized like he wasn't really into it but he didn't want to break it you know what i mean like i feel like some of the later issues are you know clearly he's he's there's that one issue that just feels like he's trying to do weird 70s green lantern and Mm -hmm. it just ends up being it's just so it's just it's just weirdly flat like it's kind of yeah hmm. yeah what's really interesting is when he launched the book he promoted it and i talked to him like i I remember specifically having this conversation with him Mm -hmm. he promoted it as like this is my book where i'm going to talk about like police and law enforcement right and that's like blatantly untrue yeah right right like but at least has lip service of being true for maybe the first four issues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe just after that. But then there comes a point where it's like, it's Green Lantern and Green Arrow teaming up, but there's a super, super tall Green Lantern and Green Arrow from a different dimension. Right. Then it's like the fucking multiverse. Yeah. Because they're chasing after like the other Green Lantern from the multiverse. And you're like, this comic isn't about anything anymore. No. Like maybe it didn't work out that it was about what he thought it was going to be about, but it's not about anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Do you think that, because to go heavily into spoilers territory, I, I forget, it. I feel like the whole, like, oh, Green Lantern kills the guy uh, in, in the course of interrogating him, do you think that was where it was going to go, where the idea of, like, you know... I, ha- I think it was all uh, uh, a feint, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I think that was part of the feint. Mm-hmm. I think I honestly think to the point where it's possible that even Morrison saying that in interviews was a feint. Right, right. Because you may or may not remember when he kills the guy, he immediately says like it was self defense. He was going to try and kill me. Right, right. You know, so you have this police brutality thing that you know is police brutality and you know is a lie, and you see how he's defending himself. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's literally no follow through in that idea. Yes, right. Abs- no, there's well, no I- there's no idea of like an investigation. There's no idea of of him facing any uh, of being penalized for that at all. Other than the next uh, issue, he's undercover as like a vagrant who's left the, the Green Lanterns. What's well, he? And then like right. immediately they're like, and it's all it's all a sham because right. he's been tasked by the Guardians right. to yeah. And it's like oh shit, right. And that's the thing. I like you said. Either it was 
you know, a sham or Morrison had that idea, got to that scene and then kind of went like, I don't want to go here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of a because because that scene is kind of. Uh, it's so dramatic. Yes. And like that's the last, that's the end of the book. Right. And it's such a dramatic end. I don't know if you remember when it came out, you and I were talking in this podcast about like, shit, this has to be a fake out. Like right. there's no way this can be real. But right. we didn't know. Mm-hmm. That's right? right. It had that weight. Yeah. 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 Well, and he undid it so super quickly that I don't know yeah. if he blinked or his editor blinked or, or maybe, you know, maybe there was no blinking involved. Maybe it was just, he did something that he executed a little more strongly than intended, and it sort of threw everyone off the scent. But it seems I, weird. Yeah, I don't know, but it does feel like because it's the next issue where yeah. you get the the reveal. Yes, it's so fast. It's uh, so and, quick and in even, there. but even when they do the reveal of undercover, mm-hmm. the Guardian even says explicitly, "You're going to have to go further than we would ever allow, including killing." Right. 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 So, so like it like he he gets permission to do that mm-hmm. the very next issue right so again it's that weird like you know if he was going to go another way um you would think that would be the point where it was it was going to get heavier down the idea of space police i guess like a space police procedural but then it just sort of turns into space police thriller movie where it's like oh he's going deep undercover you know just like policemen do all the time like you know it's just like uh, no like like you said it was either a fake out or or it seems a flinch you know i don't i don't Really it seems not. a flinch, especially in that it doesn't get replaced by anything. Right? Well, see, that's it. And, and, and the plot that it is leading into, mm-hmm. like Hal goes undercover with the Black Stars, mm-hmm. then goes away for half the series and comes back in the very last issue to set up what's following. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it, it really is. You're like, oh, you changed plans, but you still had to have this end point, which yeah. is why at the end, this comes back out of fucking nowhere. Right. Exactly. And then and then it's kind of, you know, five issues of vamping and killing time in, you know, in in Grant Morrison mode, which means it's like he's doing, you know, ultra pastiches and or returning to his multiverse stuff. Which by this point is beginning to feel like an ultra pastiche. Yeah, right, right. You know, like the thing, I love multiversity and... Honestly, up until Green Lantern, anytime Morrison went near the multiverse, I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. And this is the Grant Morrison multiverse story where I'm like, there's no reason for anyone to do this. Right, right. Like, yeah. there's nothing at all, mm-hmm. not even imaginary. Mm-hmm. They're like, there's literally nothing here. Mm-hmm. The only novel thing is the thing that you yourself pointed out of the, is Star, Star Sapphire actually a gender flipped how? Right. That's the closest thing to interest in that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Ah, hmm. Wow, that must have been a... Uh, so, was it a utterly disappointing read in that sense? Or was it at least sort of like, oh, no, okay, it's it's the comics, it's not me. Was that ultimately sort it, of reassuring? It was uh, both. Hmm. I, uh, I, it was reassuring in a weird way because there's actually a lot about the early issues I do like. Mm-hmm. 
because especially in the last read through, I kind of felt like I was a, an idiot for being excited about the series when it launched because mm. I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's this thing of like, oh god, it just like swallowed all the hype. It's terrible. And rereading this time, I was like, no, these are actually strong issues. Mm-hmm. There is here that's really interesting. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time I got to the final issues, just the feeling that it was freewheeling mm-hmm. and like a first draft that Morrison was writing because he had to hit the deadline mm. and without that much thought going into it, mm. like was there and kind of made me newly upset at the series. Hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, so there you go. Interesting. Yeah, it, it it was it was a weird one. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds uh, challenging. I should say. I want to mention in terms of things that one should love, but somehow do not necessarily end up loving. Um, Venom, the end, uh, number one. It's a it's a one shot, uh, and. It is Adam Warren uh, writing a Venom story that takes place at the end of space and time as uh, Venom ends up being the sort of uh, solution, I guess. The only the only the last chance that uh, sentient life has against um, an artificially intelligent um nanoverse i don't know what you would call it and it's it's fascinating because as you know i love adam warren i think warren is one of those dudes who is just a great um science fiction writer among other things uh like he's one of those dudes who for me even if i don't necessarily end up hooking into what's going on with the characters i always love just the the sheer number of ideas that he throws at the page. And that should really be the case for Venom, the end, which is a supersized special and literally has um, Warren trying to figure out a way to use... Uh, it, he's not trying to figure out. He's positing a story in which um, Venom's sort of role as a super symbiote slash kind of parasite be, being you know, the last and truest hope for uh, bio-organic life um, seems kind of super high stakes and great, but it it's wild to me. Like, I have no idea when he put that, when he was tasked with writing this issue, but it's amazing how much post-Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten, it feels, it, it honestly reading it, I was like, this feels like the same thing. Like it's amazing how much it feels like. And I don't think that it is. I assume that Hickman and Warren were either reading the same material or on the same line or everything that the editors at Marvel were saying, no, you can't do this. You know, um, all of a sudden, um, after Powers of Ten comes out, it's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, it's fine to tell universe-ending stories against the, the the fragile battle between organic life and artificially intelligent, you know, post-humanity. But I was kind of like, uh, this is really weird. So it's kind of a shame because it's, you know, it's Warren. There's a lot of work put into it. The art is, I don't know, okay, serviceable. I thought it was a little... 
for stuff that's supposed to be super, super cosmic. Because most of it is, you know, Venom trying to figure out a way to to essentially absorb post, you know, super superhumans and use them to to uh, basically rapidly evolutionarily upscale in order to fight back against um the this nanoverse it just it was it was weird i was like oh this is very 10 minutes ago you know this is very just a little too late um i was very bummed out by it i'll be curious to see if you check it out when it hits i uh, almost started once jeff <laughs> No, it, uh, honestly, because like the whole the end books, yeah, I find fairly exhausting in and of themselves. Yes, and Venom, I find fairly exhausting in and of themselves. Right, so the idea of Venom the end. Right, right, yeah. You know, and also I'm not the Warren fan that you are. Yes, I. Well, so I, I, I can imagine, like, for example, even if you felt the same about the end and Venom as mm-hmm. I do, you've still got the. But I fucking love the writer. Right. No, no, and no. For me, I would like, say that's right. He's he's a he like he's a cute writer. Mm-hmm. But that's not enough to get me over the hurdle of I hate the concept of the 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 character of the book and I hate the character. Right. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm indifferent Sorry. to and the also character. the fact that you've just been like the it's not good. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much sealed the deal. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I just wanted to I just wanted to be like I'm like, Graham, double check my math on this and you're like, No, that's okay. The math stands, and that's <laughs> yeah. That's no, fine. I'm sure. I'm sure your. I'm sure your math is fine. Uh, I read uh, because Chloe was reviewing it for the beat, and she had a copy, and, and she was like, "Is that like?" Re-? She did the same thing. She was like, "Read this and tell me what you think." The Miles Morales, the end issue. Oh wow! Uh huh. And that was a mess. Was it? Who did it? Uh, Salvin Ahmed, who writes the regular Miles Morales book, right? And uh, Damon Scott, who used to draw Batgirl, like mm-hmm. almost twenty years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was such a like we. It was almost as if someone said, "Salvin, you've got to do Miles Morales at the end," mm-hmm. and he was like, "Okay, but I don't want to spoil anything about any of my stories." Right. So can I make it like when he's an old man mm-hmm. in a Brooklyn that's nothing like today's Brooklyn and isn't really about Miles Morales at all? Mm-hmm. Miles is going to old man Miles is going to reference things that will never happen, right? In the comic, because he'll be referencing things that happen when he's like thirty, and he'll never become thirty. Mm-hmm. So can he can he do that? And they're like, sure. Do you want to like throw in some random science shit? And he was like, "Yeah, Miles is a genius scientist, didn't I say that? Miles is the smartest guy in the Marvel universe." <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, okay, that's great." Right, right, yeah. It's it's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, well, I do feel like that is you have described the general trend of the end one shots. Like I haven't read a ton of them because um, I think I'm also not really. The, the idea just doesn't it's like I've, if i like the like i think i read the punisher the end i think peter david might have done the hulk the Did end the hulk. Yeah. yeah which yeah. i remember i <laughs> i remember that i read it if you see what i'm saying um yes. and but yeah generally i feel like there's always like people with the with the end stories they always have to throw in an extra gimme that's kind of like that's not taking 
things where it was supposed to be like, you know, like it was just kind of like that weird thing of like, oh, yeah, sort of this weird thing that uh, in Venom, the end where they're like, well, and of course, you know, Venom is essentially, a, a you know, a, a intelligent parasite from outside space time spent here to collect everyone's, you know, keep record the exact DNA and in psychological details of any of his hosts. So basically he's able to keep a perfect collection of anyone that he's ever symbioted with. I was like, okay, I've only read two Venom stories. They've been telling Venom stories for a fuck of a long time. Maybe that's just established canon, but really? What the fuck? Really? You know, so I don't know. Um, but I always feel like that's the way, like that Miles Morales, the end, that feels like every one of Marvel's The End books is like, oh, yeah, it's the Punisher, but it's the end of his life. But he's also the smartest man in the Marvel Universe. I would love if that's like the gimme for each one of The End books. Yeah, so every single one is it's the character, but it's the end of the Marvel Universe and they've been revealed to be the most important person in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, in the, the whole time. Exactly. And you're like, what? But yeah, every single one. You're like, but no, though. <laughs> So we're about... it'd, be, it'd be great if they did like you know Spider Man the end and it was literally like Peter is is just being Peter Parker and he like trips on a building. Yes, and yeah, absolutely. He's like, oh no, the web shooters. Well, I've gotten out of this before. Smack Splat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be great. Give it to us, Marvel. We know what we're doing. Uh, Graham, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the end of our podcast for tonight. I'm sort of like, yeah. <laughs> Are you done? Wait, no, I, I, I want to talk about some of the things I've read. Oh, please do. Oh, right. Yes. So uh, there's been a bunch of things I've received in the mail. Uh, there's a bunch of things I've been receiving in the mail late because right. they've been sent to the wrong place. Uh, and then a, a number of different wrong places, but they've all kind of made their way to me in the last couple of weeks, which is really funny to me. That is funny. Um, so in in I was going to say no order, but no, I'll start with the two that I really like. Uh, as I said on twitter last night um i had a chance to read the digital arc of masters of british comic art which is i thought when it was announced it was literally david roach doing uh, a series of profiles of british comic artists right that's not what it is at all no it is like a 180 odd page history of british comics wow with an additional let's say 200 pages of examples of art from artists referenced in the book wow and it's fucking amazing yeah, yeah. Yes, it's. I mean, it's it's just great. It's such a great book. It's such a great history for of British comics as well. Mm. From like the start, from like the eighteen hundreds up to now, basically. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like it's really good. It's a really thorough book. Um, it's not without its own biases, but I think honestly, kind of those books have to be. Right. Um, but the art in there is just shockingly good. Mm. Like they, and, and there's so many artists I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. like artists from like the 40s, 50s, 60s I'd never heard of, whose work is just, I mean, jaw dropping, and they've got like full page examples of their work. Uh, it's 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 an amazing book. It's out from Rebellion in April, and as I said on Twitter, I can't wait to see a physical version because if this book is anything like even if it's the same size as a regular 2000 AD book, mm-hmm. look good. But if it's oversized, for example, mm-hmm. it's going to be amazing. Yeah, 
I'm, I I was floored by how much I liked it. And wow. I'd been looking forward to it before, but like I said, thought it was going to be like profiles. I thought right. it was going to be up to Masters of British Comic Art. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, here's you know Ian Kennedy, here's Frank Hampton, here, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it's the history of British comics, and it's great. Wow. Well, that sounds super exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's uh, apparently, I think it's the 2nd of April. Uh, I don't know when print versions are coming out in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, someone will tell us. Question mark. But uh, it's it's yeah. If you go to any of the conventions where Rebellion sets up, which is New York or San Diego, mm-hmm. maybe they do C two too. I think it's just New York and San Diego. Um, I really hope they bring copies, and I hope that a lot of people have a chance to look at it because it's it's fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really loved it. The other thing is another book that's not out for a while. It's uh, Andy Watson's new book, Carrying the Knights of the Forest. Hmm. Uh, you like Andy Watson, right? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's one of the Random House graphic books. So mm. it's a book for, I think, middle grade readers? or uh, Let me look at the back. Middle grade fantasy, it says. So yeah, it's out in July and it's great. Mm. Uh, he's just very good at comics. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he just, so, he's such a pure, wonderful comic talent. Mm-hmm. And it's the first book that he's colored himself. Mm. Uh, I think it could even be his first book in color. Uh, the, only the, the the arc that he sent out, only the first few pages are in color, but it's beautiful, and everything else is just grayscale. Mm-hmm. But it's it's his simplicity is just spellbinding. Yeah, and he writes such a great story for kids that is also um, like not straightforward, not simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I really loved it. I I, I tore through it. Hmm. It's it's fairly long. It's um, looking at pages, looking at pages. Yeah, it's like two hundred and sixty pages. Oof. Yeah, uh, and then there's a whole thing at the end where you, if you want to play like D and D with the characters, he's written down all their stats, <laughs> which is kind of great as well. That's fabulous. Um, yeah. And then then he's like, you know, if you want to make up a character, here's the here's the format. Here's how you do it, mm-hmm. which is really. But it's it's great. It's it's a really really enjoyable fancy book, and I don't like fantasy. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's. I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. If you can imagine a supernatural horror book for kids that because of that isn't particularly scary, but is really unsettling. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, and it works really well. And again, his artwork is great because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. And that just works so well with this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. That sounds great. Yeah, I highly recommend it. What else did I read? Oh, I read Noisemakers, which I I, I know the the promo for that is starting up. Um, have you heard about Noisemakers? I have not. Noisemakers is a a, a spinoff of a book called Kazoo. Or, or sorry, it's strips from a magazine called Kazoo, mm-hmm. um, which is a magazine aimed at girls aged five to fourteen. Hmm. Uh, basically, you know, uh, uh, a sort of uh, current affairs isn't the right word, but like a general interest magazine. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, apparently in each issue six page biographies of famous women in history. Hmm. And so this is a collection, it's a hardcover collection of, of the, the, that work. Mm-hmm. And it's again charming as shit. It's really, really charming. Mm-hmm. But the, the cartoonists involved, it's really impressive. 
Brittany Williams is in there. Uh, um, Mary Nomi's in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emil Ferris is in here. Lucy Nisle is in here. Lisa Martinez is in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon Wright, Rosemary Valerio O'Connell, Lucy Bellwood. Like, it's some great creators yeah, are in there. Yeah. And they're all doing these wonderful potted six page biographies of these character, of these historical figures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's just, why weren't books like this around when I was a kid, you know? Right. Right. It's just a well done introduction to these historical figures for, for kids. Although it is like, if that's the, that's the purpose. Right. It's such a great introduction to comics, Jeff. Mm. You know, imagine when you were a kid, when you're five, getting given a book that had Emile Ferris, Rosemary Flair O'Connell in it. Yeah. You know, Lucy Nisley. Yeah. Like, just the variation in, in artistic styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Artistic storytelling. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. You get exposure to that. It's just, it's great. Mm. It's it's so so wonderful. Mm. Um, I t- I talked we at the, the end of of last year about the fact that I essentially have a stepson now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's a first second book that came out years ago called Fairytale Comics, mm-hmm. which is the same thing. It's a lot of artists, including like uh, Jaime Hernandez is in there. Um, I can't remember his name. The guy who came up with Hilda, uh, Luke, someone. Oh yeah, Luke, right. Am I making it up? Uh, but yeah, here, no. um, you know, there's a bunch of people in there mm-hmm. that, uh, and they're just adapting fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved it as just another, you know, this is a great example of cartooning, right? But he just loves it. That's awesome. as like a book. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's like this. This is amazing. This story is great. This story is great. But he also understands differences in visual storytelling that like i didn't get for 20 years after him wow <laughs> because of these books yeah 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 so I, so I think about this and i'm like imagine the kids who are going to get this when they're like eight or nine years old mm-hmm. and they'll be able to be like well emil ferris's storytelling is much more you know <laughs> based on, on a yeah. personal representation of the truth as opposed to rosemary valero o'connell who is really abstracting things to bring it to an emotional place you know it's and they'll they'll like get it on a level where they can't explain it yeah but understand it and that's amazing to me jeff no it's fabulous in fact when's this out because i'm having this whole like oh god i should totally get this for my niece for her birthday uh, i will tell you because i have the pr right in the book um february 4th <gasps> okay well i'll keep it i will i will see about pre-ordering that because that will that will get here just in time i think yeah it's it's really i i love it i i genuinely love it it, it's it's a wonderfully charming book, but again, it's wonderfully uh, educational isn't the right way of putting it. But mm-hmm. it's it's I can just imagine how much of the world it's going to open up to kids. Mm-hmm. You just see it. It's, it's you know for, from that uh, respect alone, yeah. it's absolutely fucking thrilling. Mm-hmm. You know, um, on the less successful end of things. Uh, I got mailed the collection of Brian Azarello and Maria Lovett's Faithless. Oh, wow. Uh, described on the back in big letters as the rare erotic comic book that's actually hot by Brian K. Vaughan. Oh, oh, oh. No. And let me just tell you this, Jeff. Mm. Uh, uh, uh. I don't think Brian K. Vaughan knows what's hot. <laughs> <laughs> also, let, let me backtrack and say this. Maria Lovett's amazing. Uh-huh. And her artwork is not only the saving grace of the comic 
mm-hmm. because it really, really is. Brian Azarel's script is is embarrassing. His story is is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lovett's art is sexy. You know, her her character acting and the way she approaches the sex scenes is great. Mm. If it wasn't in service of yeah, Brian Azarello, yeah, mm. basically. Um, then I would be like, oh, wow, you know, I'm surprised to say check this out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, geez. Oh, that's a, what a bummer. Uh, she's done, she did a book for Black Mask that came out uh, this month, last month, mm-hmm. um, that I got, like, halfway into, and she wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote Andrew. And it got closer to the idea of the rare erotic comic that's actually hot, mm-hmm. even if it didn't get there. Mm-hmm. But it did make me go, oh, love it, someone to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, like she's there. There's a lot there. Her character acting is is genuinely great, mm-hmm. uh, and she can approach this material without it being. Uh, I don't want to say trashy, but like salacious, mm-hmm. or like overly male gazey. Because one of the nice things about this is it's not male gaze. Mm-hmm. As much as Azarello is, I mean, <laughs> Azarello is one hundred percent writing as one handed, Jeff. <laughs> oh God. But, but she pulls it back from that really impressively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a take a look at it in the in the comic store mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. book. Just to go, yeah, the art's great, but do not buy. <laughs> For God's sakes, yes, please do not buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Back to Random House Graphic, the Runaway Princess came out this week. Mm-hmm. Their, their first official launch book. Right. Uh, and it's really great. Mm. Again, it's for kids. I think it's actually for too young. I think your nieces are too old for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's I, you know, I'm charming again. sounds like, the, the, you know, faint praise. But it's, it's a lovely book. And it has such a great narrative trick really early on that I was just won over immediately. Oh, really? Um, there's a bit, so the, the runaway princess goes into the forest, she's stuck in the forest, she's getting chased by wolves, and they're captioned at the bottom of the page, is like, uh, help her get free, close the book, shake it three times, and open it again. <laughs> turns the next page and everything's a jumble. Right. And oh. she's like, oh, I'm so glad that earthquake happened. And that's such a great joke! Yes. Like, that's such a great joke. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, that's that's so great. Like, as soon as I read that, I, I was just 100% won over. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a really smart thing to do. And a great way, again, of getting kids engaged. Yeah, completely, completely. That's really you know? wonderful. And I was like, that. yeah, that's that's genius. That's that's a great gimmick. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, was, I was completely taken. I'm trying to think what else I've read that is worth actually talking about. Well, I'll talk about the two or three yeah. things that, uh, that I've read that I think are worth talking about, sort of. Uh, Red Sonia, Volume 1, Scorched Earth, which I got off of Hoopla. That is the beginning of Mark Russell's run on Red Sonia. Um, a friend of the podcast was like, hey, you should check this out. I really liked it. I was very surprised. And I picked it up and... I really liked it, and I was very surprised because um, I I sort of was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to see Mark Russell levels of whimsy applied to Red Sonia, um, but a I think what's great is there's more to it than that because he puts Sonia in the situation of she's more or less 
made a queen of Hecathia, um, more or less because there is an emperor that is coming and uh, the the ruling class just essentially just wants to like not end up killed by him. So they're like, they sort of grab her, throw her in as a scapegoat. And since she's actually grown up learning and tactics and strategy, she's able to take an impossible situation and turn it into sort of a quote unquote fair fight. And then that's embellished out with, um, you know, sort of typical Russell touches about the nature of um, society, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, really, Capitalism. Uh, you know, capitalism does not necessarily make its way in there, but I think the the thing that I like about Russell is that he transfers very well, is he's very good at sort of showing how people get trapped by the systems that they create or perpetuate, you know, which is, of course, capitalism. But, for example, um, by having an emperor who is who at one point very early on conquers a, a kingdom and the king's brought to him and the king's like don't kill me i could be an excellent advisor and they talk about this potential situation which is essentially the emperor's thinking like do i end up invading hycarthia or not and the king's like uh there's there's not a lot to win out of there you know, like there's no real like they don't have a lot. They're just known for being just, you know, shitty people who dislike authority. And, you know, if you win it, what's the point? I'd say no. And the emperor's like, that's excellent advice. And that's why um, you think like a king, but not like an emperor. So I can't use you. And then more or less throws him in a basket of spiders or whatever, you know. And it was kind of like, oh, it's that sort of Russell being very, very cleverly as as you go on, the emperor is more or less trapped in uh, Sonia quickly realizes because he is an emperor. She's like, OK, I know what he's going to do because he has no choice because the role that of emperor that he is means that he has to do this and this and I can work it against him. It's all just very. You know, it's it's a it's a it's it's a thoughtful Red Sonia story, which is one of those things where I was like, does anyone really need that? But um, but it ends up being like a really pretty decent warfare story in some ways. I mean, it's not like Vinland Saga at all, but it sort of reminds me a little bit of that just in the sense of I can see that like the, taking the 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 trope and then doing something different with it. Yeah. Doing something different with it. And also it being like, you know, like the best quote unquote war comics where the real battle is about the strategy going on behind that every, you know, the way that everyone's trying to think things through and second guess each other. So I, I ended up enjoying uh, that a lot. The, the, the complaints that I have, and this is sort of, it sort of suffers from dynamite itis, which is, you know, um, the the art becomes progressively, you know, like the, there's like four artists, I think, on the book. And it starts off pretty well composed and I think very well, very serviceable. And then just eventually it's all but, you know, stick figures rendered in crayon, you know, as the first three, you know, 
artists died from starvation wages or whatever happened to them. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you, Graham, I don't think that you've ever done this because you're not the sort of person who um, does not get non-lucid, like maybe when you were delirious. Like if you were delirious and trying to work out this story on pirates and time travel, you wouldn't just like go to Amazon, order a bunch of books and then forget about it and then be surprised when they showed up like, you know, days later, would you? That's never happened to you ever? Uh, that's never happened to me ever, no. Okay. So I managed while high to pre-order a manga book six months before it came out. So when it showed up, I was literally, what in the name of God is this? Like, I literally thought it was sort of like, oh, someone sent me a gift. That person was me because then my card was charged and I figured it out. But uh, then I went on to not read it, but I have cracked open Gambling Apocalypse Keiji by Nobuyuki Fukumoto, uh, which is... Gambling uh, Apocalypse Keiji. Yeah, Keiji. Yeah, K-A-I-J-I. Apologize, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that completely I, I, I'm sorry. It's Gambling Apocalypse that I'm stuck on much more than oh. Keiji. Just... And I'm willing to bet that was in my high state. I was yeah. like... Yeah, no, no, no. It, that, that was 100% what yeah. got you. Gambling Apocalypse. I've got to read it. And I have to say, I'm about... Uh, about halfway through the volume. I think it's a one volume. It's um, not what I would call a Graham McMillan book at all. It's kind of great. Um, Fukumoto draws everyone in a kind of style that, um, well, let's just say that half the characters look like Dick Tracy and then the other half look like maybe Japanese versions of uh Dick Tracy and um, it's uh, but it's about a loser who uh, a, a real a real loser like it opens up with him like losing his to you know a hand of poker with like the last little bit of money that he has he's like a ne'er-do-well who because he co-signed someone else's gambling loan that the person then disappeared on, he's found himself um, millions and millions of yen in debt to these loan sharks. And they're like, good news, you've got a chance to work it off on a one-night gambling cruise where you go and half the people there come out rich and the other half, something terrible happens to them. But honestly, it can't be any worse than what you're, the situation that you're in now because literally the debt that you have to take on is such that you will be working for the next 20 years in order to get out of debt with us. Uh, so Keiji has little choice but to go to this ship that's called the Espoir, which is French for hope, and go in on this gambling cruise from hell, which is essentially an enormous... Uh, basically a variation on the prisoner's dilemma. There's a whole bunch of other people who were big gambling losers. Their only chance at essentially winning is they have in the course of four hours, they have to basically beat one another in high stakes games of, and I shit you not, rock, paper, scissors, but on no. cards. Yeah. Yeah. It's rock, paper, scissors, but on cards, RPS. And so there's like a, each card has like a skeletal hand, either the fist, the the scissors, or the hand for the paper. 
And in addition to that, there are, there's like how you win, how you lose, the fact that you only have a certain number of cards and that you have to basically, you have to play your cards down to a level. There's a star collection process. It sounds on the one hand absurd and it is, but it is also fucking gripping as hell because what's great about it is the um, Fukumoto is really great at the early chapter where essentially the Yakuza thug talks Keiji into doing the cruise is great because it really is the way that he's like, if you think about it, it's almost more like a charity. Like he's talking this guy into something that, that he really has no choice on, but they have to have him of course do it under his own free will. And the extent to which he uh, Fukumoto, I was reading it being like, oh yeah, no, this kind of actually makes sense. And it's presented in this classic and you even have the character thinking, I should not fall for what some Yakuza dude is telling me, but, but, but maybe, and, and sure enough, <laughs> and it, and it works really well. It's so far, it's like, a, it's, you know, if you can think of something that's drawn in a sort of much more, uh, again, that sort of Dick Tracy, sort of a very, for lack of a better term, sort of standard manga style, sure. uh, instead of the sort of rich um, illustration from the guy who did Death Note, there's a little bit of a Death Note situation for me in this book in that it's very dark and it very rapidly becomes uh, a number of logic puzzles because... You know, of course, Keiji goes in there, more or less gets fleeced almost from the very beginning and then has to fight his way back against sort of impossible odds. And the way that they present him doing it is so far really good. I don't know if it's going to manage to hold up for the next, I don't know, 150 pages that are remaining. So maybe next time we talk, I'll be like, uh, I made a mistake. You're like, uh, never mind. Never mind. But but so far, it's great. In the, oh, geez, yeah, probably never mind. I, I went in, in a craze and bought two issues of X Enthusiast Motokari Mania by uh, Yukari Tak- Takanami. Um, it looked like it was going to be a sexy, ribald uh, manga romance about uh, a cute, meet cute couple both of whom are so hung up on their exes, uh, but they decide to basically form a coalition to, um, you know, date one another and make themselves, you know, essentially like be able to be a support structure for one another to get over their exes. And because they like each other, try and fall in love with each other. I was like, oh, it's super cheap. I'll pick it up. I saw someone on Twitter being like, this is my kind of book. I'm like, I like that person's taste. I'll pick this up. Kind of sort of a mistake. Like, not entirely, but one thing that's kind of rough is the artist's style is very, um, how should I put it? Like, if you, Graham, had a certain nostalgia for the American black and white indie comic craze of the mid 80s where just about anyone could get anything published as long as they promised that there would be a radioactive hamster involved at some point this would be the book for you 
But generally, I was like, ooh, this art is sketchy as shit, especially for a romance comic for me where I want a little bit more, you know, I kind of don't want to feel like I'm reading someone's, you know, college newspaper strip, I guess. But it... Uh, it 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 mostly charmed me. I'm not going to be picking up volume three, but um, but I I ended up kind of enjoying it. It helps that the the writer who is not necessarily a great cartoonist is actually a pretty good storyteller, and again, sort of has the basis. I mean, the whole the whole ex enthusiast club is it's done with a lot of charm and fun. Um, but it didn't really pan out. So if I were you, I would say read Red Sonia Volume 1, Scorched Earth. It does not cl- complete the story, and I don't know when Volume 2 is ever going to come out, so I'm very bummed. Gambling Apocalypse uh, Keishi. We'll have to see how much of Gambling Apocalypse is. I will report back when I finish. And the first two volumes of X Enthusiasts. I would be like, eh, if you're getting it on a free service, yes. Otherwise, no. The end. I mean, I, I you're like, yeah, no, gambling apocalypse. I'm still kind of weirdly stuck on. Yeah, and I, it felt like there was a point. I think it was maybe the rock paper scissors where I was like, I think he's making this up to fuck with me. <laughs> I get it, but that was all. But that was also the point where I was like, this sounds entirely like a comic you'd buy when you're high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think that I knew that it was rock and paper I scissors. Specifically, but yeah. mean you. Oh, I'm, oh, I I'm see. Not using, I'm not using the generic. Like, no. <laughs> I simply mean Jeff Lester. Really? Yeah, uh, I just want to put that out there. Uh, I so wish I could. Or like, no. <laughs> I, I don't mean you. I mean Jeff. I'm not specifically talking about Jeff. Yeah, well, uh, listen, everyone. If you are also like me, and apparently no one else is, or not very many, or not enough of you, um, yeah, it's uh, it's... It's pretty great, the first couple hundred but pages it, I mean, of it. There's so many. Surely when you were actually like summarizing it there, you were like, but no, this this, this, this sounds fake. This does not sound real. Uh, oh, what, what? like you said, it's the rock, paper, scissors point. Like when I got to that point, because imagine how it is when you're like 60 pages in and it's like this poor son of a bitch is, you know, being sent. It's like, I don't know. It's it's like hostile or it's it's like one of those super grim horror movies where you're like, this guy's just going to get tortured and eaten alive on this boat. He's signed away everything and it's all ominous, you know, and then it's like rock, paper, scissors. And what's smart is they only refer to it as RPS throughout the entire thing. In fact, each of the cards is RP or S, but they're like, you'll be playing RPS advanced. And on the one hand, you're like. That somehow makes it all the funnier. Like, it really yeah, is. Like, No, that's just it. RPS Advanced makes it dumber, sillier, and yet also honestly cooler. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's that sweet spot. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of digging the crap out of it. That's the one so far that I would say is like, come on. My hopes are riding on. But, um, yeah. So, it's, it's kind of... I apologize, everyone. Really, honestly, I had so many days off. I was like, oh, boy, I'm going to read a ton of comics. And I better, because Graham McMillan reads like a fiend, and now he's listing them all. But I mean, um, there, A, no, he wasn't. Joke's on you. Uh, <laughs> B, uh, life happens, Jeff. That's yes. what happens. I meant to ask, because you, you, we were talking about Dynamite. Um, what do you think of the, the boys' news? 
Um, the boys news or yes, uh, should I? Yeah, well, you should explain for listeners as well as potentially for me. Garth Ennis and Russ Braun are doing a new series of the boys. It's yeah. coming back. Yeah. It's, uh, it's coming back prequel. with some a, a kind of a prequel. Isn't it? It's, yeah, it's – I don't know is the thing because everything in the PR makes it sound like a prequel apart from there's one line about how it's looking to the past but also moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is it a prequel then? Right. Or, because it's about Butcher's wife who was dead. Yes. So that would suggest it's a prequel. Right. But maybe it's not. Maybe there's something there. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I'd be I think prequel makes a lot of sense and maybe they're dipping their toes into the water. I for myself I, I'm like, sure, I guess I'll check it out. Like I feel like the boys was pretty much was what it was, you know, like I enjoyed it and I mean, you you stuck with it the whole way, didn't you? I did. Well, yeah, I ended up reading all the all the omnibi over a, a period of time. So yeah, I finally finished it like you know, a year or two years after the whole thing was finally finished up. And um, and uh, yeah, and I was really impressed with that. I'm not sure that a I need to go back to the well, and I'm not sure that for me that Garth Ennis being like, yeah, I didn't really the focus was never on this character and I always wanted to do more with her. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm never that crazy about Garth. I'm like, I don't see how it can work, but maybe, I mean, I love Russ Braun's work, particularly Russ Braun on the boys. Cause you re you reread the whole thing recently after liking the TV show, right? Yeah. 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 And Braun's Braun's work is really good. Yeah. He's quite good. So there's part of me where I'm like, that to me was kind of the big part of the news because I've not been tracking whatever he's been doing. But I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'm, I would look at work of that guy, what whatever that guy's doing. I, but I don't know. I just, eh, you know, I, I it makes sense considering the boys is coming back with a season two on Amazon and yeah, generally yeah. good reviews. I can see why Dynamite's like, you know. Uh, which I feel Dynamite's kind of always kind of hanging on by their fingernails where I think they're like, sure, sure. Yeah. Let's yes, please. You know, let's get new boys material out there so that we can actually sell something in the marketplace. But I mean, you know, I, I, I was very surprised to see honestly, Anish returning to it. Um, Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I kind of have that thing of like, maybe they showed him that a train called love sales figures and kind of were like, uh, dude, please, please. We backed you, you on was. that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. We backed you on that. You got to come through for us. So, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just, um, yeah, I'm hoping that it's good, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, it's such a strain. Like when I, it's one of the rare things where I get uh, a release from a publisher. And my first response is, kind of surprise mm, mm-hmm. you know like who saw that coming nobody was like you know what? i think they should do one of these days more boys comics well i mean here's the thing like i i'm not necessarily that surprised by it because i do feel like dynamite just the fact that they they just kept doing these photo omnibuses and things and i mean i feel like the boys is one of those deals where they put not all of it, but such a good chunk of it on Comixology Unlimited. And it's the sort of thing where I feel like 
is it's already been the focus of like six sales. You know what I mean? Like I just kind of get that sense that Dynamite's like this is this is. Oh yeah, it it, it is for want of a better way of putting it. Dynamite's uh, Watchmen. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, I I think that it makes a lot of sense that they want to try and push it. It is kind of crazy that Ennis is coming back to it. I I have to say there is something that's a little like, as you know, I really loved Fury War Story, but I think I'm I might be a little tapped out on Ennis. Like I I even liked it, but like I picked up uh, Punisher the Platoon or something like that, which was him and just amazing art by uh, I think. Is it Goran? Goran's Goran Parlov. Goran Parlov, right? And I don't think I made it more than two or three issues into it. And I've got, I've got the, you know, I subscribe to it. I think I have all the issues sitting, you know, lurking in the depths of my comicsology vault. But I haven't, I haven't read them. And I'm kind of like, I'm not sure I need to, you know. So one of the other things I read this week was. Um, Ennis and, and God, I've forgotten the artist, Steve Epting's Sarah from TKO Studios. Huh. I finally made my way through the TKO Studios releases. I'd only read like one of the four launch books before and I finally made my way through the others. Oh, good. Um, and Sarah is, is if there's such a thing as completely competent and yet having no reason to exist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's that. Mm-hmm. It does what it sets out to reasonably well, but there is literally no reason for that comic to exist. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Everyone involved has done better work. Everyone involved has told a more interesting story. Um, it's it's a very strange comic. It's funny. I read that after reading Goodnight Paradise, which is the – I think it's Josh Feilkoff book. Uh-huh. I'm going to up who does that now, um, which was, I mean, amazing but also uh, shocking. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Josh Dysart, sorry. Joshua Dysart and Alberto Ponticelli. Mm. Um, do you know what it is? No. It's a murder mystery um, that basically exists entirely in the homeless population of L.A. Oh, wow. Hmm. And it makes no apologies for them being homeless, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. And that is – that honestly took some getting used to, to be honest. Really? Yeah, it's it's um, it's – it very much exists in the world of its main character. And its main character is an alcoholic who – um, has a broken relationship with his son mm-hmm. that he, I'm not sure that he doesn't realize how broken it is or that he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. But uh, for one of a better way of putting it, he discovers a corpse mm-hmm. and becomes obsessed with not solving the murder, but obsessed with finding the corpse and how much that's fucked him up. Mm-hmm. And everything about that ends up leading him deeper and deeper into the mystery of what happened. It's the point where he's the only one who does understand what happened, but he doesn't understand it. Wow. That sounds totally a, my jam, i got to say. That yeah, sounds great. Oh, you'd love it, Jeff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You'd love it. Um, it is brutal as shit. Mm. It's for people who read, like, Brubaker stuff and be like, it's pulpy, yeah, but it's like, I don't know if only could be, like, a little bit more realistic. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because like Criminal is... Criminal does what it does well, right? Yeah. But criminal exists in pulp logic. Yeah, very much so. So there's always the femme fatale. There's always, like, the wronged dude. Yeah. And Goodnight Paradise is doing that, but completely stepping outside of the, the, the noir. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is. It's a gut punch of a comic. Mm. 
That sounds quite good. Yeah, I, I do highly recommend it. It's from the first wave of TKO's releases. Okay, right. I'll go hunt that up. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I finally got around to that this week, uh, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really like, oh shit, this is great. Like mm-hmm. this is great, but also this is, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like I would read the other TKO books, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I read the Garth Ennis one. That was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad comic but it's just not a good comic either right right you know acting's art is fine mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's it's clear it tells the story mm-hmm. and it's and writing is fine but it's fine for it's fine for people who only want to read war stories if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like there's no there there beyond war war is hell right but this time it's hell for a woman and she's russian <laughs> now it's like okay sure <laughs> well but that's that's fine i mean i think that's kind of i mean that's sort of the weird mystery about ennis in some ways is for a guy who was such a um felt like such a genre breaker with uh with preacher um he's he really is such a he became such a sort of devoted genre dude with with war comics you know his war comics are usually quite good you know sort of if you like that sort of thing you know and if i i I literally when i was reading it it became more interesting to me to try and see the 2080 influence Mm. than anything else Mm -hmm. because you know we just did draw class week and we were talking about how you can see origins of of ennis in there yeah and i was like well you know let's try and find the wagner grant here let's try and find the pat mills in here right and and there's not any, mm-hmm. no. Wagner Ennis is rather for for all, for better or worse, his own creator now. Yes, I think it's so. Just that, mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm not sure it is for better. Right. Well, I mean, it may be again. It's sort of just may not be your jam. I guess you know, like oh, exactly. again. I mean, that's like that's implied. I guess. Right. No. Well, I know, but I mean, I sort of. Um, I, I see what you're, I see what you're saying. And I do feel like for someone who has enjoyed some of Ennis's war comics and also where he has gone, I do have a certain amount of, um, I don't know, again, just sort of, sort of like in the way that you were talking about Brubaker and Dysart, sort of the way in which Brubaker, crafts this stuff that um you know he and phillips are very much working in uh for people who like sort of pulp crime fiction like this is a pulp crime fiction book and sort of yeah from the way that ennis is like i really loved the shit out of war comics as a kid i really want to do a war you know i want to do right by war comics and it's kind of like god bless you go do that you know what i mean but it's kind what's, of what's funny though is, is reading this. I was like, but this doesn't read like war comics that I'm familiar with. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't read like uh, like the DC war comics of of Kubert. Right. It doesn't read like or Robert Kaniger. It doesn't read like the British war comics either. Mm-hmm. It reads like a war comic for people who you know buy shitty airport novels. Oh, really? Huh. Where it's like you know. The true story of this loneliest assassin behind the front lines of World War One. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the names in like gold embossed letters in the front. It read, read more like that. Hmm. Like I, I couldn't really see a lineage with either the British or American War comic. Well, because I suspect, I wonder how much that is more, and it's going down the line of military fiction slash nonfiction. You know what I mean? But I, I haven't yeah, read maybe. it, so you know. But anyway, all of which is to say, I just wanted to put it in the the appropriate box, which is. But there are times. There are times I know what you mean, where Ennis's stuff is fine like he he has a level of craft that he brings to things where everything sort of works but that doesn't you know but it if it's you know it but doesn't there's to translate into anything beyond for and a obsessives only right which i mean god bless him yeah I, honestly i think preacher created more than enough of those right sure and there are people who followed him down the path and, and you know, absolutely should have. Like, I think, I think his his Punisher Max run is a pretty good transformation of going from wacky woo woo Ennis to you know, um, you know, high stakes military, you know, fiction about tough dudes. You know, which again, I'm like. God, it's hard. It's hard to say it with a straight face, but I think that that is part of what what Ennis wanted. And like you said, there's there's enough people that are out there that seem to enjoy it and seem to buy the stuff, you know. So I I think it's good. I'm just surprised by how much. Even when I do like it, like I said, like with uh, Fury, you know, uh, the Fury miniseries, I'm not necessarily that excited to rush back into it. I mean. I still think that it's better than him do having to do like I don't know web of Spider-Man to get a paycheck or something. But you know, oof, what a mismatch that was. But uh, you know, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, mm. I, I, it's, it's my reaction. Even though I'm more of an Ennis man, is very much like, yeah, I gotta pick up that Dice Art book. That sounds amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it was, it, it was quite a, it was quite an experience reading it. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I kept on expecting it to break the I, break the tone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I kept on thinking, they're going to leave this eventually. Like right. there's going to be a part where Dysart is just going to be like, and meanwhile, mm-hmm. you know, another character's point of view, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he will occasionally show things that there's no way the main character can see it. Right. But even then, it's, I like, it's, he doesn't really break out of like this is what's happening from this guy's point of view hmm. and so you're basically living inside this character's yeah inside their head yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it's quite a read mm-hmm. sounds great i mean dysart also did that amazing unknown soldier series for dc right? dysart's a great writer he did uh harbinger when harbinger was good at valiant Mm, right, and yeah. I'm followed up with Imperium, which was really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Dysart's a very good writer. Yeah, he seems he seems still pretty slept on. I think that I think that uh, hopefully he'll get he'll get even more um, people paying attention to him, and that really does include me because God knows I probably sh- could sit down and you know wing through all those. All that Harbinger material. Hey, Graham, Bloodshot, the the movie trailer with Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a thing that exists, right? <laughs> so you're you're not a you're not a day one ticket purchaser. You're not going to be in there being like. I don't 
think I will be. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to be really mean and be like, is anyone? Uh, you know, I would see it opening weekend. Uh, like- I, I, I think it's going to be a minor hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think it'll, I think it'll do. I think it'll be Venom level hit. Oh, you think? Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Could be. Seems seems like people are talking it up. I, I hope it'll do better than Morbius. Ah, <laughs> uh, Morbius isn't out yet. Or wait, are you telling me that Morbius was already out? Because I would also believe that. No, no, Mor- no. They just put the first trailer. No, Morbius I, I know. I know, and I loved it. Um, I didn't love Did, it. it I was going to say, did you? Cause... No, 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 no. Although, you know, I have to say, like, I was going to be hating on it. And I was like, uh, fine. Like, you know, like, I was like, fuck. Like, no, and that's I'm... the thing. It's, it's not even interesting enough to hate on it. Yeah. Well, I just like, it's just like, okay, sure. Right. Like that, that's, a, that's a Jared Leto film that exists. Well, see, exactly. And part of me is like, I'd rather see him doing this than, you know, screwing up a real movie, you know? So it's like, yeah, this is good. Maybe it'll even be good. I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. And I hope it's a big enough hit, like I said on Twitter, just so that, that Sony can totally be into, get into the, oh yeah, we're totally going to do all of Spider-Man's supernatural based foes with like, you know, weirdo method actors, you know, like I said, Shia LaBeouf doing Man-Wolf. That's that's my goal. Come on, Sony, make it happen. Look, they've already established that J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson again. Uh, that makes Shia LaBeouf J.K. Simmons' son, and so I am on board. See, there you go. There you go. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, of course, part of me is like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, maybe he can just be a generic astronaut. In uh... but no, I was weirded out by how much like I was watching that trailer. I'm like. This is weirdly, surprisingly faithful to the Morbius origin story, kind of, up to a point. Which kind is, of? Well, I mean, you know, the degenerative blood disease, and he's like, you know, he's a funny-looking fucker. You know, like, they're kind of like, <laughs> you know, like, it's kind of... Yeah, the very basics. Yeah, the very basics. The very even, basic. even, you know, he's got, like, a loving wife big, or... If, if you had the high red collar like outfit with open to his waist, then great. Well, yeah, no, I mean they're they're not quite going that far yet, but you know, but his whole like because in, in the original, like, doesn't he get on? He's on a boat when he, they turn him into a yes, vampire, yes. right? Yeah. So yes. like when they were like, I, I've had to read Morbius comics a lot after that trailer. Oh, of course you have, right? So yeah, so as we know, I mean, I was very surprised that out of all the love that in the world that I have for Marvel's like supernatural heroes and villains, it just can't extend to Morbius. Morbius is terrible and Jared Leto is terrible and that movie looks terrible. And so in that weird way, I'm like, it could be a hit, you know, it could be perfect. Everyone's perfectly aligned there, Graham. It could just all come true. But yeah, when he was walking around and then he's like, it's, 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 oh, it, we do live in a world where Joker got 11 Oscar nominations, so really, who the fuck knows? Okay, right. Clearly, they can't go there, but that was, I don't know, that is still something that boggles my mind. That's, uh, if if they start winning those, oh. I I cannot wait. I cannot wait, cannot wait. 
Really? I want. I yeah, I do for all the wor- all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I want Joker to win everything. Oh God! Not not because I think Joker deserves it, but because I want to see how Marvel reacts, and I want to see Warner Brothers be like, "We knew this was great, and so now we're doing like Lex Luthor, but Lex Luthor is going to be played by Adam Sandler." <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I want. I want everyone to make bad decisions based on Joker getting all the Oscars. Uh wow. Well, I mean, you would think considering it crossed the billion dollar pipeline, finish line or something, didn't it? Didn't it make? Hasn't it made a billion worldwide, Joker? Or am I wrong? I that? I don't know. I. I... I have no idea, to be honest. Well, it doesn't matter. It it was certainly a big enough success that I you would have thought that the Lex Adam Sandler Lex Luthor movie would have been announced already by now. It's probably just well, as well. You know, it's it's a, hopefully it's in the works. Do you remember? Or maybe you don't. Maybe this is far too inside baseball. Um, THR announced basically like Warner Brothers is, is working on all of these movies. Mm-hmm. Like you know, in the light of the success of of Joker. Warner Brothers is making Joker 2, but they're also going to develop lots more movies like this. Uh-huh. And Warner Brothers were like, we fucking aren't. No, <laughs> no, we're not. So like everyone else. Yeah. Uh, and it was apparently all bullshit. Did mm. you know? That? No, I didn't know. Yeah. That apparently Warner Brothers was just like outright lying to other people. Wow. Because <laughs> they got upset that like THR announced it. They is... were like, we don't, we don't want people to know that we're doing this. So we'll just like outright lie to other people and say no. Wait, okay, so they're lying to other so they people? Are. They yes. are, but they're saying that they're not. Yes, because they don't want people to know. Oh, wow. Huh. Why wouldn't... What? That seems really dumb. But I mean, you know. Well, it yeah. makes sense in a way because part of the idea behind Joker... I can see why they wouldn't want to put it that way because the idea, of course, is you know nothing's going to give Joker the the opportunity to lose oscars than looking less like an actual yeah then the, the, it's not a movie it's you know it's part of a franchise movies. exactly yeah, right yeah I, so. I think that was part of it and i think it was also just like you're going to fuck up people making deals if you make it look like we're trying to do like 12 of these oh right then yeah because people are just going to hold out so graham spitball me give give me drop and give me six DC oh, come super villain films. Wait, I've already given you Lex Luthor with Adam Sandler. Yeah, really? that, give yeah. you more. Yes. Shit. Um, Donald Glover, Black Manta. Okay, keep going. That's one. Uh, I'm like, who who does Catwoman? Because you know that Catwoman would be the like mm-hmm. it, it ends up being like Florence Pugh, you can tell. Like it right. be something terrible like Florence Pugh and Catwoman. Um Poison Ivy would be one. Jessica Chastain, Poison Ivy. Oh, there you go. I would green light that. Okay, keep going. Um And I don't know the other. Oh, come on, there's so many more. Wait, I, wait, how how many more do I need to do? Well I say, uh, you gave me two. Um, no, I gave you no because well, legs are kind of so I gave you three at least. No, all right, all right, that's three. <laughs> Give me another three. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of of. I'm trying to think of villains, and my brain is honestly because so, there's got to be a dark side, but no, you can't do dark side. You're, can you? you're like a DC man. Yeah, I know, but you can't. I'm trying to think of ones that you could do this sort of like you know quote unquote realism to because mm-hmm. you have yep. a dark side, right? Yep. Um, you probably got to go Batman again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Riddler with 
See, I feel like I'm missing out part of the game by not saying like what 1970s film it should be based on. Oh, feel free to roll it back. Sounds good to me. No, I reg- I honestly regret saying that already. <laughs> um, uh, Riddler would be. Um, oh God, I don't know. My brain's going blank. I'm actually sick, and you're making me do this. I hate you. Uh, I'm so sorry. You sounded so much healthier than me for so much of the podcast. I figured it'd be a walk in the park. Also, no, what's really funny is like I am. I am like weirdly sweating buckets right now. Oh no. Um, let's see. Uh, Riddler would be. I keep wanting to say Sean Bean, and I don't know why. Wow, that that's yeah, an I, offbeat I, choice. I, I, I don't know why, but I keep on seeing Sean Bean. Lean into um, and then you would have... There's got to be a penguin one. It's mm. so tempting to Colin Farrell just because that's who he's playing in the, in the, the Matt oh, Reeves right. film. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but no, if you did Penguin, it would be... Oh, shit. What's his name? Uh, who plays the man in black in Westworld? Oh, the TV show? Because I don't, yeah, I haven't watched yeah. it. I don't know. Uh, I also, I just said something that's like a major spoiler for people who haven't seen the first season. Ah, oh, um, that'd be me. Um, sorry. Um, so I okay. I'm not going to say the actor's name then. I've looked it up. I'm not going to say it because that would actually ruin things. Okay. Um, but for people who have seen Westworld, <laughs> I'm talking about. Graham. Not Ed Harris is all I'm saying. Mm. See, that's funny because I didn't know uh, – I haven't watched Westworld, but all of a sudden Ed Harris came in my mind. And I'm like, oh, Ed Harris would be a great DC villain. Mm. Uh, but who would he be? Sinestro? Uh, no. Well, maybe. I mean, uh, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you. I gave you six. I still can't get beyond my one, which is okay. – Ewan McGregor as Mirror Master done in at Jeff John's style. So it's all cocaine and 70s blow and, you know. It's... I mean, you're forgetting Ewan McGregor's Black Mask and, and Birds of Prey. Of course I'm forgetting, you know, because I'm like, I, who, that screws up my whole theory, you know. Plus, I'm like, shit, I got to think of another Scottish actor. I mean, I know I can do it, but. Uh, it, should be Kev- it should be Kevin McKidd. Uh, Kevin McKidd, really? Huh. Yeah, I like him, kid. Are you and Bramner? Why not? See, uh, my worry is is that they cast like old what's his name? Isn't what's his name hot? And he's Scottish, you know the guy, uh, one of the Stark brothers, you know, who's in Rocket Man, you know, the bodyguard. Oh, um, um, yeah, I know who you mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I, I like how you say that. I'm literally like you and Bramner. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you and Bramner is, right? No. He's spud in train spotting. Oh Jesus, Graham! No, that's not no, not helpful. That He's also in Wonder Woman, so theoretically, like if if you can't choose June McGregor, then right, then right. you can't choose um, June Bremner. Right. Yeah, that's true. No, it is. It is. Oh, no, because I I do think there is something where it's like doing Irvine Welsh Mirror Master movie. You know, uh, yes, directed by. Get Welsh and uh, Jeff Johns to co-write it. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Irvine Welsh and Jeff Johns co-writing the script. And then you get old, uh, what's his name, Danny? What's his name on here? God damn Danny it. Boyle? Yes, thank you. The pipes, the pipes. Uh, let's see. What else? Um, so there was that one, but like, I'm like. Oh, God, yeah. There's, there's all the Flash villains, isn't there? Captain yeah. Cold. See? Be... Ed Harris as Captain Cold. 
No, Stellan Skarsgård is Captain Cold. What? Why? Just because I I think he'd be wonderful. He'd be so I, I really Werner Herzog is Captain Cold, but that's only oh, because I love oh to, to hear to like just just imagine that. I want just Werner imagine. Herzog playing all the DC villains. You know, let's face it. Like I would Werner want Herzog him. Is, okay, he's who I, I play. Dark Side, right? That's right. what I was going to say. Yeah. Th- that started as a joke, but I would actually want to see him play Dark Side. I, I absolutely would as well. He would be perfect for fucking Dark Side. Like the the grand philosophical pronouncements and the disdain shit. and yeah it's that would be shit. that would be fucking shit. great <laughs> yeah, that's a problem oh captain cold really should be Samuel rockwell oh see <sighs> that's wait who's for whom as captain cold Some, uh, uh, captain cold see i love sam rockwell for everything i would i would have put him as more of a uh He's definitely a Flash Rogues Gallery dude, but I see. I'm like, nah, man. Sam Rockwell is like the top, or maybe Weather Wizard. Like, you know, <laughs> Weather Wizard directed by Jean de Bunt in the style of of his Twister movies. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. See, so, um, gosh, let me see. I, I just figured that you, it's like your love of character actors and your love of DC and DC villains. Like, I, I figured this would just be like a slam dunk for you. And, of course, yeah, I seem I struck the, by the brain, some sort the of temporary. Not working. I know, um, me too. I'm having problems. Like, all the listeners you, no, are, like, yelling you, no, at shit. us. No, shit. You know who should be Weather Wizard? Mm-hmm. Adam Driver. What? Why would Adam Driver yep. be? What? Why? No. Oh, He's my... got the hair and the like the weird body. Adam Driver for Weather Wizard. Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay, I guess. I guess I'll give it to you. I actually think, you know, <laughs> he would be a great Steppenwolf. You know, but like. <laughs> You know, the classic Kirby-designed Steppenwolf. Yeah, apparently. I mean, since we already (laughs) went with... Although, you know, I joke about it, but he would be a pretty great Orion, actually. Wouldn't he? Adam Driver? Yeah. I honestly cannot see that, and yet I'd be curious to to try. Whereas I was like, oh, yeah, that's like almost too pat, you know. Um, uh, Let's see here. Hmm. Well, anyway, let's call I'm, it. I'm actually going to pivot off this towards we a we should really bring it home soon because we're yeah. past two hours. Yep. I am honestly fading quite dramatically. Me too. Um, but I want to say something that we talked about uh, a while ago now has happened for people who have DC Universe. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you're one of them. Oh Jesus! You know, you know that the uh, the episode of dc daily or the episodes because it's two episodes of dc daily where the people pitch their reality shows is up, are up right 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 i i highly recommend it uh-huh um if like me you can watch it while you're sick and lots of things in the world aren't making sense <laughs> all the <best. laughs> uh it's made all the more weird for me by people I know in real life being in there, being the people hearing the pitches. Wow. Yeah, like I've met Dan DiDio and Jim Lee, and I know mm-hmm. Dan Evans. Mm-hmm. And so it's so strange being like, okay, I know this is a reality show, but I've actually, like, you know, I've had lunch with these guys. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's very strange. Yeah. It's like legitimately very strange. I bet. I bet. So, uh, yeah, but, but they're up, and people should watch them. 
And I'm saying this because I want you to watch them so that the next episode we can talk about them. That sounds great. That sounds very good. I will. Because okay. part of me is like, I'm like, oh, do they announce the winner? Or, or I guess it's just these are the guys who like make it to the level of... They, they announce the ones that are going to pilots. Okay, that are going to pilots. So they don't get the, they don't get the winner. And you don't get the pilots either because obviously they just announced right. it. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm very excited, Graham. Thank you. Exactly. So before the next episode, uh, it is your homework. Indeed. For once. Right. To to watch those episodes. And and I can't wait to talk to you about it. I <laughs> genuinely can't. Oh, my God, Graham. That is fabulous. Okay. Well, that's good. I believe that will be uh, in two weeks. I think next week's a yes, skip week, that, right? See see how we're doing this? I'm, seg- I'm segueing mm. us in. Yeah. Stuff, like the next time we do that, see? I'm I'm a radio professional, Jeff, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, it will be in two weeks. We're, t- we're taking a skip week. So let me look at the calendar. Let me fire up the calendar and try and ignore all the deadlines that I have. <laughs> oh, no, really. I pushed a lot of stuff off, and then I was like, oh, no, next week looks horrible. So um, – do you Google it, Calendar it, all your deadlines? Is that how you do it? I Google Calendar like the really important ones. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It this way, if it involves interviewing someone, if it involves like uh, an exclusive or something that's a relatively big deal, mm-hmm. I'll on there. There's recurring ones that, are, that happen all the time. I, I just know that now. Oh, okay. That you uh, don't put down and you just sort of – No, that I don't put down. Uh, the next episode we will be released around February 9th. Yeah, yeah. We'll be into February already. That's weird. I know. Isn't it weird? It's really crazy. And maybe by then we will sort it out our hosting situation. Oh, boy. I hope so. I won't even go there. I mean, you and I can talk about it offline, but oh, yeah. All, oh. all I'm saying, whatnots, is uh, some of you have been writing in being like, hey, the episodes aren't available where they're normally available. The episodes are going up late. We know. Yeah. Trust me. We know. And we have been trying to fix it, and it has been not a straightforward fix. To yeah. Be honest with yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And uh, I promise you, we're trying to get it fixed. Yeah. Hopefully, we're on the road to getting it done, but it is, it is still not done yet, which is such such the bane of my existence. So, um, and God bless Adam Nave. I mean, that's just a general truism. But pff, thank you, Adam. Seriously. Okay, Graham. So. Adam Nave, who, by the way, I had to cancel uh, hanging out with this week for, I think, like the third time in a row because I was actually delirious and sick. But I felt, because I've canceled on him so many times or been like, you know, I'm really busy, blah, 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 that I almost did it even though I knew I was fevered. I was infectious. Right. Like, I could barely walk. That's not an exaggeration. I was so dizzy at some points that I could walk maybe halfway across a room for it to down. Jesus. And I was like, maybe I should just do it anyway. Wow. I didn't. And really, Adam, while I do apologize, because I nearly hear this, um, there's also the plus side of I didn't get you sick. That's right. That's right. Which sounds very good after hearing about all of Graham's symptoms in the first 15 minutes of this episode. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, I should I should wrap things up, shouldn't I? Yes. Uh, there will be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. There is a Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There's an Instagram that I update mostly daily apart from like this week for example when i was horribly sick i'm sorry that's instagram.com forward slash wait what pods we have a twitter account at wait what podcasts jeff has a twitter account at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-e-s-t-i-d mm-hmm. i'm at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m and we have a patreon which allows me to stop talking and have a drink of water before my voice entirely gives out jeff 
Tell everyone about the Patreon. I shall. Everyone, we are so incredibly super grateful for you guys as listeners. Uh, there's times when we are not quite feeling fully up to snuff, and we appreciate you sticking through uh, thick and thin for, you know, the episodes where we are uh, in slightly uh, better spirits and Graham is able to critique my choice of comic book reading metaphors, uh, analogies. Um we appreciate you. We also appreciate the fine folk on Patreon who not only continue to stick through, as you all do, through thick and thin, but throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh in order to keep um, us motivated and excited. And in the case of this particular set of hosting situation, brouhaha's gave us uh, a much appreciated um, uh, uh, safety net to, to kind of work from. Um, while trying to figure things out. So that was very, very appreciated. As you guys know, these are uh, these podcasts, we've been doing them for 10 years. They're free. You never had to hear about stamps.com or uh, uh, those mattress people. Um, I mean, we probably would have sold out if we could have, but we never got those opportunities uh, and we never even had to try. Thanks to your wonderfulness. We're super grateful to you. Um, uh, we're also super grateful to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast and this neck of the celestial woods, so to speak. It would be great if she could um, do a little thing about uh, illness and disease, because um, Graham and I are both pretty sick of that uh, and would like it to go away. So please get on that. Thank you. Grant? I see what you did there. Sick of that. Ah, oh, I get it. Um, to add to what Jeff was saying, Patreon people, if you want to feel truly appreciated, just know that genuinely this podcast would have problems existing without what you've been doing. Yeah. Uh, with what has been happening lately. Yeah. We we very, very, very much appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we will be back in two weeks with uh, hopefully Jeff having done the homework and then we'll be talking about some reality show goodness and I don't mean The Bachelor or, or hashtag champagne gate um, this is what I normally sing it out but honestly you could probably hear my voice right now and you know that that's probably very bad so instead I just go bye